0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, hmm, ha, hmm, ha, hmm. Should we get
1: into it? Should we? <laughs> Part of me is like, really? You're, are are you? Did you dislike them? No, or... no, 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 no,
0: no. You know what it is? Is it, it's kind of um. What I think what what I find interesting about these issues, and it helps that there's there's only six of them, and I sort of feel like everything what i find amazing is is that for the most part like each issue that we will discuss i feel like i have more or less the same things to say about it which is
1: I, yeah I, i'm yeah you know I, what i'm I mean? not surprised they're, they're very um consistent yeah consistent i think consistent like, is like a great term. If, if they hit the right they hit the ground running as far as they hit the ground <laughs> Hello Whatnots and welcome to Baxter Building, the show where Jeff Lester and I that's me, Greg McMillan, and Jeff. You should say hello.
0: Oh, hello. That's me, Jeff Lester.
1: Where the two of us go to war with the Fantastic Four <laughs> um, in the the. I was going to say the closing the closing straights. I'm not even sure if straights close. I think so. But oh, sure. That's what we're in. We're in the closing. Groups. We're doing issues 356 through 361 of the 416 issue series, the first volume of Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. We are. Right at the start of the Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan run. And this is just where the book stays until the end, Jeff. Wow. Isn't it nuts? Like we're 60 issues away from the end. Yeah. And this is the creative team right up until like the last two issues. Right. Right. It's kind of amazing to think of that because post and Kirby, who did 102 issues. Mm-hmm. I, like, the longest runs have been, like, you know, 30 issues or something. Well, yeah, that exactly. 62 yeah. run. It's kind of insane. Yeah, it's
0: like Lee and Kirby, then you get Burn, and then, but, you know, actually, I guess Burn ends up doing less than this team does, I suppose. Burn does
1: th- uh, two, I guess he does roughly the same. Mm-hmm. 232 through, like, 294? Something like that, right? Right? Well, or... He leaves just before the anniversary issue, which is mm-hmm. 296. Right, right, right. So let's say it's like two ninety. Two, I
0: think he's like two ninety two or two ninety three. So yeah, I think uh,
1: calling it sixty just, issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. That, that, like those are the three biggest runs. It's kind of especially crazy that this is one of the the three biggest runs. Well, and that's what I'd be kind of curious about is
0: sort of like was it that big and that consistent because
1: it sold like. I, you know, or I mean, it's, it's, we're talking like 1990s Marvel. This yeah. this issue, this first issue, three fifty six, starts and uh, is dated September 1991. Right. So, I mean, we really are talking Marvel. In theory, everything's selling. Some things yeah, are selling gigantic. Marvel's, but yeah. Marvel's yeah. height, mm-hmm. and then into Marvel's bankruptcy, because of course the reason the series stops is because it goes into the heroes reborn. Right which is more or less a, a a really desperate attempt
0: to convince people that well the way that I've heard it described is a very desperate attempt to conv- to convince like for example uh, investors that the image people have returned while glossing yes. over things like
1: I, and that, and that there's something there's something to marvel still there's something to the core titles yeah but as we all know there wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I I'm very curious to talk to you about these issues because i feel like the defalco ryan issues have been a punchline for us for a really long time yes and i've said this on on the regular way what episodes and we've reached here now but i've been rereading these in advance of these of these baxter buildings and especially the early issues i'm like oh they're actually not that bad mm-hmm. like for all that we've been making fun don't get me wrong they get that bad yeah you know the, uh, the, the, right, which I'm fascinated the, by the, yeah. like these six issues mm-hmm. I would argue are actually really kind of strong,
0: yeah 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 i think it I, I
1: so. it's a surprise mm-hmm. you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely i mean, although it's that weird like i feel it's it i feel like it's just a almost Mobius loop of like footnotes or asterisks in the sense of like the caveats just keep circling in on each other it's like yeah it's not that you know they're surprisingly solid except dot 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 and then you get into that caveat and you're like except it's also kind of a good read you know so it's this weird like and and i think for example uh for those people like me who honestly were wondering how they were gonna handle uh the thing and sherry's relationship um after the sort of the end of um, the end of Simonson's run Ben's you know has become the thing again she, Sherry's become human again um, and she's happy to she's relieved to actually be a woman and Ben sort of is uh, it is what it is kind of thing um, no pun intended and then and so 356 I'm like okay well how are they going to handle this and I I think that it's kind of safe to call it uh, uh, well, th- actually, I take it back because I was going to say you could call it utterly offensive, but the but the fact is, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's not utterly offensive, which is one of the things that is frustrating. In that, it th- th- for people who are wondering, essentially, what happens is, uh, they pull a you know Poochie was summoned back to his home planet. Reed literally says, um, you know uh, that that. Uh, you know, his girlfriend well, Sharon unexpectedly sure. like, deserts him. That. Yeah, just unexpectedly deserts him. And and that's it. Like, there's no, there's no, like, there's not even the two panel They don't even bother to have her, like, picking up her bag and acting out of character. She's just gone. And there's something that's so, again, it's just such an utter lack of respect for everything that Engelhart put significant amounts of time and effort into. And I think it's kind of worth pointing out, like, I believe it was the same editor. Like, Ralph Macchio has been the editor the entire time. Like, yeah, from yeah, Engelhart yeah. through to...
1: Through, through Simonson.
0: Right. Through to now, yeah. Yeah, and so you would think that he would at least have some sort of investment, but maybe it's all the years of getting teased or razzed or seeing, reading the letters, or maybe he was so opposed to it, but it's, it really is, it's, it's almost creepily disrespectful that a character who has been with the book for, I
1: don't know, like, wouldn't cover like a spectrum of something like
2: Well, I three mean, this, years? Is three, this is
1: 361, and Shari showed up like in the three 310? 312? So, like, you know, it's five like
0: years. Four, yeah, four or five years of a character that's been in the book, written off, off-panel, no ex- literally no explanation at all. Maybe it gets followed up on past these first six issues, but it didn't here. And, I mean, just because it so ceases to exist.
1: I Well, I, will, I will spoil things and say that Sharon makes a comeback in the not-too-distant future. Oh, okay. Uh, that's interesting because I kind of had a thing of like, eh. but as it is, it's like
0: the plus side is, is I was like, yeah, it's so utterly disrespectful, and I'm like, it's we're kind, it's kind of a mirror. If Jeff Johns had taken this over, like Shern would have been found, would have been fridged as a way for for Ben Grimm to like lose his shit and become the, some, you know. A hardened, jaded version of the thing that they've managed to bring back from the precipice of blah blah blah. You know, I mean, part of me is like, well, at least she's sort
1: of released back into the wild. And you'll, uh, you'll, you, I'll be very interested in what you think when Sharon makes her return. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, because. Everything you're saying about it being disrespectful to Engelhart, a that's interesting to me because you, you're not saying anything about it being disrespectful to Simonson, who literally left the characters in a very particular place that, let's be honest, Defalco and Ryan completely ignore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like 100% ignore. Yeah, and in fact, the first three issues of Defalco and Ryan run is is un, is a retcon of a burn plot for that matter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the status quo of the book for you know, eight years at this Mm -hmm. point, which is really, really impressive. Yeah. When Sharon returns, they try and work what has happened into where they want to go with the book. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's arguably the most disrespectful. Oh, God. Well,
0: and that wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me because, again, it's that deal of... Someone, someone else's character or supporting character when when the creative titles change hands, it's not uncommon for that character to just essentially become kind of a plot prop, you know. and that that could uh, anyway I, I have to I'm not gonna you know um, follow it up with some baseless speculation. but let me just say that the first four pages. Five pages of issue three fifty-six, war with the new warriors, um, is, is insane. And I think that's the <laughs> other thing that I find really odd about about this stuff is kind of the way again, part of why Englehart's um in my mind is Englehart has his that amazing final storyline that's super critical where essentially the rogue watcher um creates, you know, a, 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 a replacement Fantastic Four, puts the real FF into hypersleep, and the the Fantastic foe, uh or the Faux Four, or whatever, basically run about being assholes, and are this weird mix of like, supposedly of, it's... Of
1: old school FF right. plus asshole. Yes. And, and the first four pages of this book are are that team a bit less asshole-ish? Well, see, exactly.
0: Exactly. In fact, if someone wanted to really do an epic troll and turn around and be like, essentially, 356 takes place in Aaron the Watcher's universe and not the actual 616 universe, you could really make a case for it because nothing is, 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 to me, as incredibly strange as the first four issues have that oh it's like a classic fantastic four opening except somebody has brain damage is it the writer is it all the characters <laughs> or is it you
1: it's somebody what what i love about the opening of of 356 as you said war with the new warriors and also i love the new warriors are in this story so much it's it's really the signifier of like oh this is 1991 and not you know 1976 1979 1981 because it's it's pretty much the only signifier for this issue Mm -hmm. um is that it's so boldly this is the old school ff you guys because whether it's been englehart's writing or simonson's visuals Mm -hmm. fantastic four has been a different type of comic yeah actually Even going back to like before that, there was Burn, and Burn had She Hulk in the team, and wrote Ben out. That's right. You know, so like it really hasn't been the quote unquote traditional FF for a long time. Yeah, like a
0: really long time, really close to like a hundred issues.
1: And Defalco and Ryan really are just like, you guys, it's great. Ben comes clobbering through a wall, saying it's clobbering time. Because he's upset that Johnny might have pulled a prank And they pretty much do a Why, yeah, While Reed goes Get control of yourself gentlemen I have no emotions Because I'm science man right. And then Sue breaks it up mm-hmm. That's the plot of reverse for issues And it's such a, a In a weirdly Wonderfully bold way A statement of intent Well
0: and And, and how do I put it The thing that is disquieting to me is how much I was okay with that. The thing that's weird about it, where the brain damage comes in, is it's the particulars. Because, as you know, Ben is upset at Johnny because um, somebody mooshed this clay statue, which, which Alicia gave me a few years back, and I'm betting it was you. And... What do you got to say for yourself now? And Johnny is incredibly blasé. Your engine's a little low on oil, pal. What's the big deal anyway? Alicia can always resemble it. Besides, it bears a much greater resemblance to the original model with that flat head. Now, that original joke, that the ending joke, is kind of, again, classic Fantastic Four. But this weird idea that Ben is upset at Johnny that Johnny wrecked a sculpture... That's ma- that was made by the woman that Johnny is married to, and Johnny is absurdly indifferent
1: to it. It it just has that weird like, it, it's it's so weird because it it's you can tell what Falco is trying to do. Mm-hmm. He's trying to introduce the the how important Alicia is to Ben still. Right. The dynamic between Ben and Johnny, mm-hmm. and for that matter. The, the Alicia retcon that's coming up. Exactly. Because. Yeah, he's trying to do all of that. Yeah. But there is something about the conflict that is charged in the wrong way. As right. you say, like, Ben and Johnny should both be behaving differently because of the current dynamic. Right.
0: Well, yes, exactly. They should be behaving so differently. It almost would make sense if the dy- dynamic was reversed, although that still wouldn't be right in a way, but at least it would be there there's sort of uh there's there's at least an understanding, but I cannot imagine any situation in which a guy who used to be in love with a woman who then goes and marries one of his closest friends is you know upset in aI'll motorize the bum because he like smushed a statue, like, it would be kind of a weird, like, what kind of weird fucked up stuff are you doing? Like, you'd either be, like, 900% more apoplectic, or you would be kind of like, huh, you apparently have some issues to work out. But also, Johnny's just weird kind of like, what does it matter that an artwork of my wife's was destroyed? It's not a big deal. She can just
1: repair it, right? You know, is... Well, not really. The fight is... Is genuinely like right. as as Sue says. If she hadn't come in and stopped the yes. punch, Ben would have killed Johnny. Yeah, yeah. She she actually does. She's like, except she's she says it differently. You no, might have. She says Ben. She, I realize that men will be boys, but I thought you two had outgrown these childish macho games. Yeah, yeah.
0: She says you might have accidentally injured Johnny if I hadn't interfered. He throws a punch at him, and he's the fucking thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no reason, just because Johnny's flamed on doesn't mean his head wouldn't come off. Like, you see, it's just kind of, so there's a weird, and and this is interesting in a way, it sort of feels like classic Marvel comics in in the idea that maybe what Ryan's drawing and what DeFalco, what... and DeFalco's looking at it and being like, Eh, no 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 no. We got it. You you know you kind of got the intention right, but I want something a little more lightweight. Everyone's kidding. Like if you change the dialogue, it
1: can look. It could look. I mean, it looks. Yeah, maybe maybe we can get away with it if if you know right. if we have someone basically like as Johnny does. Mm-hmm. I could have busted. I could have easily busted free. Right. Like, if if we have a a dialogue aside, like, I know it looks like he was literally about to kill me by punching me at Point blank Range, and he's the fucking thing. Right,
0: exactly. But between Sue being like, you might have accidentally injured Johnny, like, everyone's minimizing it, you know? And it's not like DeFalco's like, oh, here's, here's finally where I get to introduce my you know, my my beautiful masterpiece about the FF is a fucked-up, abused family, you know, abusive family where everyone has to enable one another's, like, violent tendencies. He's clearly not doing that. It's clearly just him being like, hey, waka waka, look, it's it's what everyone loves. It's like the Torch and Thing shenanigans with Reed being like, oh, man, I was just in the process, which is another thing that's hilarious, is is like his whole thing where he, like... He and Johnny are working on this this crucial attempt to develop a flame which burns without oxygen, which I just really had one of those moments of like, okay, I'm science dumb and I should google this cuz maybe that's really a thing. But that's <laughs> it's, it's not a it's not thing. it's not even how flame works,
1: you know what I mean? It's just It's not a thing. And um, what what is also great is like not that Reed should know this, because again, Reed only knows what Tom DeFalco knows. But Tom DeFalco should know this, because how many times has there been a Johnny can't burn in space because there's no oxygen? Right? Right? Plot.
0: Right, like there's just there's just like a even concept if that's just experiment, right John
1: is no help for it.
0: <laughs> I just that idea of like here try burning your flame into this oxygen. I mean, I would love to do like some weird version of the Fantastic Four where Reed is just like a lunatic but you know <laughs> kind of like that like,
1: weird, weird science yeah but all of... like i've tried to make flame spiders
0: exactly exactly but most of it works because that's really his cosmic power again you know it's just so fucking crazy and then so the thing storms off and is like y'all seem mighty concerned about johnny but no one gives a hang about me it figures and, and of course, Reed's like, oh, he's having a rough day, you know, he's just, he's been on a lot of pressure, he's he's na- he's now the thing again, and, you know, we're all going to pretend like that's a, that's, once again, that's a bad thing for him, he
1: doesn't, that's another well, thing that but, he wants now. But here's now. the thing, that scene actually ends with Reed all but saying, Ben did this to his own statue. Oh, no, no, which, no, which no, no, no. Is... Which
0: I, well I mean... He, 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 sort of. I mean, what he's saying is, is it looks, it looks, it doesn't look melted. It does look like it's been um,
1: crushed. But yeah, but he then says, "Who could commit such a deliberate act of vandalism while looking at band? Sure. Well, yes,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Because, but that's that sort of it's sort of the various weird staging. Because I mean, you and I both know that it's going to end up being Alicia essentially, but. You
1: know, oh, it's I, 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 honestly never read that as that. I read it as it's Ben, uh, and the implication is that Ben basically just wanted to fight Johnny because Ben, Ben is is frustrated.
0: No, I, I that's an interesting idea, and I think the thing that contraven that contradicts that is the fact that Alicia. There's a segment later where her sculpting thing has changed,
1: where she's doing well, abstracts, yeah, and it's because which, she's but a different person. Thought, but... But that's why I thought that she wouldn't have damaged the statue. Because why would she damage an old statue and be expected to repair it if she, knew, if she can't do it? Oh,
0: interesting. I felt she was trying to destroy it. Oh my
1: God, we're arguing over subtext and Tom DeFalco comics. This is great. <laughs> She's trying to destroy it
0: because she um, uh, basically is it, is. it You know, I assumed it was the thing of she hate she's hate a hates Alicia and B she's more or less trying to remove her old life because she can be and this is the thing that doesn't add up of course is up until now if you if you really buy into DeFalco's Yeah, I know, explanation, I know. There,
1: there, there's a significant retcon. I mean there's there's actually multiple significant retcons here exactly but exactly. The, the Sculpture one which I actually really like is is contradicted multiple times up before this point yeah exactly but I, uh I, but we're, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves yes we, we're, we we're should getting cover far it all and then we can ourselves. jump it back so the rest of 356 is that you then cut from that scene to the puppet master at the gravestone of alicia's mother mm-hmm. uh, saying alicia's not acting like herself yeah again heavy foreshadowing yep uh what what shall how can i fix this how can i solve this i know i'll create a puppet of marvel boy of the new warriors right and this makes perfect sense yes right cuts to a three-page sequence of the new warriors training which i love so much I love it, because it honestly feels like DeFalco's like, you fuckers, I created the New Warriors, and now this Fabian de Caesar guy's getting all the credit for them? They're fucking my characters. I'll give them a generic shit X-Men sequence.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I thought was really funny, is part of me is like, were the New Warriors, like, super popular at this point, and it's yeah, attempt yeah, to draw yeah, more well, readers
1: in, so... Yeah. So the New Warriors first appeared in a DeFalco and Friends Thor-ish, and were such an unsubtle attempt to cash in on the new teen titans mm-hmm. that he literally just puts new what something that sounds like titans warriors sure that works <laughs> like we're just lucky that he didn't call the new teen warriors let's be perfectly honest i would have been down with it <laughs> he probably didn't someone's like that no there's too many words yeah you he's like, one. He's like what <laughs> about the new teens and They're like now might get in trouble what about new warriors is like sure um but it 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 was a hit when it when it gets spun off into its own book, it was a hit. Right. It it was she's and uh, Mark Bakley. Right. So
0: so one of the things that strikes me is you've got this three page sequence that's faux danger room crap where all of a sudden Marvel Boy is suddenly like ah
1: uh, there's incredible danger. I know no time to I explain. i got a telepathic now. flash. Exactly. <laughs> Warning me of danger. Incredible danger. <laughs> <laughs> no time to explain i must go now <laughs> and i do like that even though that you know marvel boy is is possessed and, and is really just a macguffin this could be any fucking superhero right. uh, i do like that nonetheless we get seen namera to remind the audience that marvel boy's real name is vance yes vance, vance. wait wait vance
0: Astro. Well, this is actually one of the things that I think uh, I'm glad that you mentioned out Neymarita's other thing, because I don't know how much credit to give or subtract from DeFalco. But the fact that Neymarita says this is no time for stupid macho posturing literally four pages after Sue comes in. And, and says, uh,
1: yeah, what did she say again? She says,
0: I thought you two had outgrown macho- these childish macho games. And I'm like,
1: there's, there, you're really, huh, you know? Look, Tom DeFalco has, knows exactly how women talk in 1991. <laughs> and it's that they come in and say, this is no time for, like, stupid macho. Whatever. Bustering, games... See, that's it. It feels to me like one of the things
0: DeFalco loved was the thing that we sort of bitched about back during the Avengers read-through, which is, you know, the idea that Stan Lee really only has four character voices. You know, or five, I guess, if you count the villain. You know, or six. Yeah, and, and DeFalco bless him, stays true to that. Yeah, he really is. He's like, okay, it's super important that we've got to have, all right, that's the, every woman character has to talk
1: exactly, exactly. the same. Here, Here's my characters. I've got the genius, yeah. I've got the cocky sidekick who makes jokes, I've got the tough guy, mm. and I've got the woman. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've got the
0: the pragmatic nag, the the nagmatic, if you will. So, yeah, it's, uh, that actually sounds like that should have been a super, uh, like a super villainous in the 90s. <laughs> the is... nagmatic. The nagmatic.
1: <laughs> no, that sounds like a, a, a descriptor. It'd be the nagmatic, you know, something. Oh, well, sure. I guess it sh- you're right. The nagmatic. Maybe she should be
0: um, nagmatism. <laughs> <laughs> Nagmatism the master of nagmatism Master here. of nas- nagmatism Exactly It was like Is this really
1: What you want to be doing With your life uh, Maybe not No oh, oh Okay God, That'd be so, That'd be the best Superhero series <laughs> but This person just comes in They're like I, I think you've made A wrong choice And they're like I Shut up I've got a gun And they're like Really though Yeah Exactly Is, is this really What you want to be doing Yeah yeah. Uh, no, kind of... maybe it's It's but <laughs> you, well, you know, if you shoot that gun, just think what you're gonna do. Think of think of who's gonna have to clean this up. Right. And you're gonna go to jail. It's not going to be. It's not. No one's going to get any better from this. You're not going to get rich.
0: Exactly. And be like
1: you're. Oh shit. You're oh right. God.
0: You're right. Okay. What can I do? I don't. You're the one who got yourself into this, not me, Mister. I just know I'm tired of this macho posturing.
1: Okay. I'll stop. Exactly. Ludicrous <laughs> macho posturing, and they'll just drop the gun, and that's the end of the scene. <laughs> It's a shot of the gun hitting the floor. <laughs> You're welcome, 1990 graders. <laughs> exactly. The scene cuts from there to the art studio of Alicia Master Storm. Oh, God. Where Johnny explains that uh, Alicia is, is now doing abstracts. But mm-hmm. no one is, no one is buying abstracts. Which is the other thing I love from this issue. Right. I, I love that in setting up the reveal that is coming a, an issue away, mm-hmm. they say Alicia has only been working in abstracts. She's given up figurative work. She's only doing abstracts. Right. But then they make a point of going, but no one's buying abstracts. Yeah. And they say it twice. Oh yeah, They're yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No one's, no one's buying abstracts.
0: Which, which i'm just sort of again part of me is like oh god wow okay so again fine within the boundaries of the story nothing really to do with reality but then there's two pages one of those pages has such a creepy example of johnny Storm's sexy talk which i mean just like i wanted to pour bleach over myself after reading that like because he's like you know he's he's trying to convince Alicia to actually report the,
1: the, the statue. Maybe we can work out a trade. Yes,
0: he's like, ah, oh, sweetie, maybe we can work out a trade, and she's like, "What Made do you all have to the offer, Mister Storm?"
1: Yes, by his face. Oh yeah, his face. Something hot and delicious, Mrs. Storm, and his face is just terrifying. It
0: really is. It's just like, uh no, 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 no. Something hot and delicious. It's just like, ew, ew. Anyway, fortunately for us, um, uh, Vance Astro slash Marvel Boy breaks through the window um, and somehow manages to get the better of Johnny Storm, despite the fact that Johnny, I think, recognizes her and recognizes Marvel Boy and supposedly knows his powers, but is still basically beat up by a bunch of sculptures and carpet samples. Um, uh, I know, I'm okay with that. And, oh, and this is the other side of Johnny's sexy talk that creeped me out. He's like, you better have a good reason for busting in on us bro or we're talking a flash fried facial which I'm just like, mm, no that's <laughs> that's that's a term that shouldn't exist. You know what I mean because I
1: really am. I'm Jeffrey. like also I love the Marvel boys response that is no reason, no explanation. <laughs> yes I mean sure he's possessed. But still, no reason, no explanation. That should be enough, even for him to be like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe, maybe something's up. Well, so this this is the thing that, of course, is great. Is is like so basically,
0: Johnny gets his ass kicked by a sculpture because he's caught off guard. He flies out the window to chase after Marvel Boy, who's carrying Alicia. The whole time, he's like, you know, kind of pissed and 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 throwing fireballs, but of course, he can't get. He can't – again, because DeFalco is fucking with my brain, he literally says, I can't let my flame balls stray too, stray too close to Alicia, where I'm just like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it with the uncomfortable, <laughs> unconscious, sexy talk. Like, it's you're, already – No, you're,
1: re- you're reading all of this in, which is what I love. Are because you if sure? there's one – No. If there's one consistent from Baxter Building, it's that you and the Fantastic Four put your brain – in a surprisingly sexy place.
0: <laughs> and Maybe that's sure why I read don't... it for that.
1: This many issues. Look,
0: I'm not Mister. I didn't imagine something hot and delicious with that no, face. No,
1: no, no, You did not. But you, you did read into both flame balls, which he said many times before, and you never went there. I don't think and he's ever said flame fish. balls before. And
0: come on, flash fried facial, Jeff. Okay, admittedly, oh. the 90s were a different time. but So anyway, the thing that is amazing, apart from uh, my weirdly smutty mind that should be writing really creepy FF fanfic, or FFFF, is the fact that um, Marvel Boy does sound completely incoherent. Um,
1: I can't explain my actions. I only know that I must do them. I have no choice. Again, at what point is he not like you know I feel this crazy compulsion but in that I literally can't explain it to myself I should maybe not do it this suggests that Marvel Boy has literally no willpower whatsoever well
0: which is great but I think there's also just this idea of He's basically running around being like, I-, I don't know why I'm doing this. as if It's as if I'm someone's puppet. And everyone's like, well, let's kick his ass. I mean,
1: he just kidnapped my well, wife, the daughter sure, of the puppet but master. Here, but here's the thing. Not only that, immediately after the scene we're talking about, the New Warriors show up. Right. And they just go... You know what? Sure, Marvel Boy's just kidnapped someone, but let's fight the human torch. Yeah. I mean, sh- yes, 100% Tom DeFalco is, along with all of his retro, hey, it's just like 1981 all over again, has completely embraced the let you and him fight. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's ridiculous that Marvel Boy cannot even lie to the New Warriors and say, you know, it's really important that, you know, that Human Torch is a scroll. None of that. Well, he They got, literally he... just show up and they're like, oh, well, there's our guy and he's running away from the Human Torch. Let's kick the Human Torch's ass. Right. Well, because they kind of say like, and it sort of makes sense. I'm sort of like, eh, it's, you know, I mean,
0: we've seen so many issues where the characters have filled in those blanks on their own. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, one of the things that's actually really funny is, is at one point, Nova's like, yo, Marvel Boy, you mind telling us what this is about before we take on the world's greatest super team? And Marvel Boy says, It involves er an alien invasion, mind control, and a complete reversal of reality as we know it. And Nova's just like, say what? And then but he's still like, Oh, okay, the very next scene is him flying into it. So again, it's one of those situations where how how do I put it? Again, where that weird brain damage factor falls into things is I feel like Ryan has plotted, you know, assuming this was done Marvel-style and considering, like, before the end of these six issues, um, Ryan is getting co credit as, as a plotter. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think that it is not necessarily unfair to assume that he's at least working on, you know, a, a Marvel-style approach on this sort of thing. He's telling, a, in pictures, a relatively conventional FF story, Although one with a much more, with the dramatic, with the drama amped up. And DeFalco's is doing some really interesting choices of playing it straight and also playing it a bit
1: camp, you know? Yeah, he, I, I think playing it straight is honestly a bit, not of a stretch, Yeah, but I think his tongue is in his cheek a lot more yeah. than than playing it straight would suggest. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I I guess what I mean is, is considering all the other things that the story goes through. um, And also, again, this whole setup with Alicia and the Puppet Master and all this stuff. It's, it's not like it's, you know, this is part one of a four part, relatively hefty four part storyline or three part, four part. And uh, so there's, there's a, there's that I assume matters to him, that he's he's positing it as as the retcon that he's using. But yeah, there are things where instead of... But again, I also kind of have that moment where the macho posturing gets used twice or where Ben literally says the same thing in two different issues, where part of me is like, or maybe Tom DeFalco is doing a lot of other stuff and he's more or less kind of like writing these things
1: on the fly. And so... I I would not be surprised if DeFalco is scripting these basically is the page's comment.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so from one page to the next, he's like, oh, "I'm taking this seriously." No, I'm totally like I'm laughing up my sleeve at this. And the next page he's like, ah, "I'm taking it seriously." And the next page he's sort of like, "Hey, eh, you know, this this page needs more fun." And I I do have to say one of the things that you for me that I can tell right off the bat is is DeFalco is really he he wants this to be fun you know even even in the midst of all of it you know
1: he's, he's... Oh, oh yeah and, and all of these issues you can mm-hmm. tell that Falco is very much trying to recreate the the Lee Kirby mm-hmm. days and part of that is that it's not a comic that takes itself too seriously mm-hmm. so even though these you know the, this four issue storyline it, it's pretty intense emotionally mm-hmm. it really uh, leans away from the soap opera mm-hmm
2: mm-hmm
1: you know, it it could be much more angst than it is. Oh, completely. Which and we I, should I, talk I'm, about as
0: the storyline progresses, because there's the some things, fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah. One of the things that makes the book get worse later mm-hmm. in this run,
0: right, is that
1: Defalco leans into the story, the soap opera.
0: Which I can see. I can a see him deciding to do that, and
1: I can see how it would make things worse. Yeah. Because that. Uh, yeah. We we should consider very quickly. There is the uh, the fight that everyone expected between the Fantastic Four and the New Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel Boy is essentially go. He essentially drops Alicia off and says, "I have to go and help my teammates," and leaves Alicia where she is discovered by Puppet Master, who is horrified. Mm-hmm. By uh, sorry, Alicia is horrified by the Puppet Master, which a leads the puppet master to be appalled and upset but b means that he throws away the marvel boy doll and marvel boy is like oh shit what huh and the fight ends while the puppet master confronts alicia and then runs away with my favorite distraction technique ever a giant robot puppet yeah i i I don't even really get it (laughs) Like, he can control anyone, he's like, what if I control a robot? Why didn't he just pull out, like, another puppet of the FF or something? No, I know, it's just that, that idea like, of, like... I, I've also built a robot. It's that's kind gonna, of like, cool. if you build a I'm, robot, why do you need, like, a fucking puppet to control it? <laughs> thing smashes the puppet super quickly, and Puppet Master has escaped. Right. Alicia and Johnny reconvene. Mm-hmm. Alicia is is very upset. She doesn't know why her dad kidnapped her. A gasp. And then the New Warriors are like, see you later. Right. Smell you later. <laughs> well, which is great because they run off. And then and then Reed, Reed says some stuff
0: where it's like, they give me hope and confidence for the next generations. And I'm like, but Why? 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 They basically seemed like a bunch of bloodthirsty thugs who, like, are brain dead and jumped out of nowhere to help their friend without,
1: like, one inch insever- of reason. And, of course, Reed's he's like... like well, he's like, I, I, as a very logical man, I'm super <laughs> excited that these kids did not look into why their friend was kidnapping someone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That, that's the gumption I want from the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good news, Reed. You're gonna get it. So yeah, um, that 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 was an issue. Again, the thing that's weird is it was it was pretty fun, and it also helped that it's this it's it's trying to start up a storyline. You don't necessarily know
1: where it's going, although you know, I mean, to be fair, Defalco lampshades that it is the start of a storyline. Yeah. the final panel is Sue basically going, but "Why did the Puppet Master do that?" And Reed said, "I don't know." bubble find out it really lampshades the this is part one yeah that's. this true. was not a one shot this is something that we want to continue right um it really does like it's it is fun and it really does gain from being fun in a throwaway sense in a sense that the the simonson wasn't and simonson fun comic don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but simonson's Uh, run was I don't want to say challenging because it's not really but it was it was not as uh, fully embracing what the Fantastic Four has been historically as this like this is very clearly a hey you guys like the Fantastic Four I like the Fantastic Four let's do a Fantastic Four comic right well and this may be
0: it I mean one of the things that is that I think is funny is if we compared this to Oh I don't know you know that stretch of issues between 150 to 200 that I liked more as a general rule of thumb than you did uh it it's weird it I guess it's funny it's not that it's disposable or it's not that it's I think like you said it's not that Simonson's stuff was challenging but it was different and it's yes. not and it's not like this is disposable because again we just read all those FF annuals, and I truly know what that term means
2: now.
1: <laughs> it's it's true. I it's, think, but it's lightweight. Reasons, it, you yes, know what I, I mean. One of the reasons we like this comic so much mm-hmm. is that we did just read all the annuals, which were bad. Yeah, and this is unexciting, but it's not bad. It's it's yeah right. It's not bad, but it also sort of has
0: a weird. I think maybe it could be argued after Byrne doing something different, after Engelhart doing something different, after Simonson doing something different. Um this return to the the same to Return really, to Greatness. Yeah, the quote unquote return to greatness really does have this thing of like, Oh, maybe as we have talked about my you know, apart from the fact that I seem to have uh creepy inappropriate sexy thoughts about the ff um there's my interest in the ff might actually genuinely be at its strongest when it's the ff as comfort food or maybe it's just defalco is clearly working in a marvel model that i like which is this idea of like it you know it's it's a light piece, but it's a big story. But it's tied into a universe, a larger universe. In in a, but in a really self-contained way. This is not the. It's tied into the same universe in the way that you know you know, the Avengers farted, and now the FF have to smell it. You know,
1: kind of of the <laughs> oh, Grunwald wait until era. Later when, wait until the the Infinity War tie-ins come. Oh, uh, right. I mean, really. Do yeah. oh, a holy moly! I mean, that's just it. We're in, we're in the '90s, and mm-hmm. the '90s become crossover central for Marvel. Right. And Defalco and Ryan embrace the shit out of that mm-hmm. detriment of the book. Again,
0: I'd be one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is um, looking at the the circulation statements that get the annual circulation statements to get a sense of. What the what's happening with this book, what this book is doing. But yeah, Marvel is in a general period of like, hey, as far as we can tell, the sky's the limit. So we should all be chasing that as our goal, sales-wise. And how are we going to do that? And it does make sense that they're like uh, endless crossovers, of course. So should we just jump in on to 357? Which, again, the cover is... Uh, the covers I think is worth note, pointing out because it's the torch and thing fighting, and the title is "The Monster Among Us." But there's a caption on there that's "The boys are at it again, and don't miss the shock ending of the century," which is this weird. Um, how do I put it? Like the cover is drawn, like the thing and the and the torch are are fighting to the death, but the caption is very much like, ah, those crazy kids. So uh, there's there's just this weird, like things haven't quite gelled. Like they're trying to sort of have it both ways, even on this cover. And honestly, it does remind me of what Englehart ends up talking about on uh, over at com where he complains about how five or six issues into his run, all of a sudden the covers start taking on that more traditional FF style with the captions shouting at you and mm-hmm. things being like sort of overly jovial and super familiar and Englehart's frustration that he's like, I'm trying to do something different here and it's clear that the editors wanted
1: the exact opposite. Yeah, so. and what's interesting is with the DeFalco run, they get it. Well, they get it, but the thing that's weird is is that you also
0: kind of don't. There's the brain damage factor, and there's the fact <laughs> that, that Ryan and Inker uh, and Danny Bulundi are not drawing... Um, I mean, it's it's recognizably it's, the, the FF.
1: It, but it's weirdly off-model. Yeah, it's it is. The Ryan, Ryan and Blandy are a fascinatingly weirdly sterile team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the best will in the world, Paul Ryan has never seemed more than a boring artist to me. <laughs> no, really. Like, he, he gets the job done, mm-hmm. but he only gets the job done. Yeah, I think and so. Yeah, Danny Boulinati is, is not uh, an exciting inker. He's an incredibly overwhelming inker. Mm-hmm. And, you, I mean, you can just compare the cover of 357 with the interiors mm-hmm. because they're inked by different people. And it looks like they're penciled by different people, too. Yeah. Because Bulinati really makes the the art inside look look more boring. Well, yeah, because there there's something that is uh... it's weirdly an attempt to do the image style because you see like the over rendering, but in such a way that it all feels too measured. Oh, it's interesting
0: because I don't actually. Feel that it's the image style. Some of it reminds me of Burns over rendering. Like, you remember that one issue where I'm like, "Yeah, I kind of like the way the thing looks. It feels like very like Barry Windsor Smithish." And you're like, "Ooh, Jeff, you're ooh way off base there. Ugh. you know." I sort of feel that sounds like, like me. Yeah, I feel I feel like uh, Boulinoti and Ryan are doing stuff with the faces where, where where it's kind of take take you know where again it's like they're interested in trying to bring in some of the over rendering that you might see from burn like a period in burns work or in some ways it reminds me of Jerry Ordway if Ordway was was again
1: really boring you know it's I, I literally when you went it remind me of Jerry Ordway if Jerry Ordway was on the back of my head I was like blind yeah <laughs> I, I think I hope you see what
0: I'm saying is is that there's sort of this weird attempt to bring in a, a, a an amount of detail that strikes me as the opposite of what the image guys are doing because it's trying to go for more realistic renderings but it misses and so therefore there's a real mannequin-ish feel to a lot of the figures done, in their faces of the
1: Feel alive, yeah, and and especially I think Sue and Reed really fall victim to the, their heads become weirdly flat boxes. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, weirdly flat boxes. It's true. Like looking it when you crack open three fifty-seven, just right after that cover page, like page two, panel four. Of Reed doing whatever the fuck he's doing. He honestly looks like Reed Fleming, the world's toughest milkman, is going to like (laughs) throw a milk bottle at him and piss in his flowers. It's really, really genuinely
1: odd. I will match that. Which the scene later in the issue where uh, where Sue gives Reed a coffee and she tries to talk to Reed about uh, something going on with Johnny. Oh, yeah. There's a panel in there where they're both looking into, like, a view screen. Yes, yes, I'm and looking at it now. Like, that's, that's such a terrible, terrible drawing of, both of them. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? I bet that's been journalist because it really is genuinely bad. I, I kind of love it because it
0: sort of looks like, um, kind of looks like early manga, like, from that stage. Like, the that thing where everyone's more or less drawn with the same boxy head but they look like they should be in, like, an educational comic, like, explaining the dangers of, I don't know, you know, anemia. Like, you know, it's like, don't let this happen to you. They are terrible. We should stop copying on the art and carp on the actual overall story. Uh, issue 357, The Monster Among Us, and I, I say carp, but honestly, I I, again... Like this issue, and liked it more than the previous issue, in fact. Although, again, in order to achieve the story's goals, DeFalco not only writes some of the characters out of character, or rather writes them in character if they had no idea
1: what had happened to them for the last ten years, well, that's just it. Everyone is in character for nineteen ninety one. Actually, that's not true. The Thinker is is nowhere near in character for a, any. Like the Thinker, all of a sudden has a wacky new power. Honestly, that power sort of made sense to me, though. Which well, is I, sure, if someone goes to Thinker and you're like, "Well, astral projection," sure, I can I can kind of get that. But it's not like he's never done it before. I felt like, and I
0: could be wrong. I thought that he did have a point where. And maybe I'm getting them confused with like the Kirby character, uh, Kirby Dr. Bedlam or whatever. But I could have sworn that within the last 100 issues, someone gave the Mad Thinker essentially the power for his consciousness to inhabit the an- his androids. I could, I could have sworn and that's exactly what's happening there is essentially the mad thinker is there in jail and he kind of doesn't give a crap because he can swap his body into the body of one of his androids back in one of his bases which is what he does in time for the puppet master to show up and meet with
1: him but I, I hope I hope that's true I hope that someone did just go let's just turn him into Dr. Bedlam
2: mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: I I feel like they did have something like that, but
0: but again, maybe I, maybe I'm nuts.
1: But well, before... it's what happens here, so it doesn't like right. either they did it back then or they do it here, but it's now the case. Yes.
0: Uh. Anyway, I. I so you I, you're saying that these characters are the way they are in 1991. Okay, readers, follow along with me. Essentially, it opens up in the Four Freedoms Plaza after uh last issue, um reed richards has come up with an epic plan to figure out what the hell is going on and it's basically making everyone wear a silly hat in a tube so everyone has to wear a silly hat uh, in a tube so that the brain patternizer (laughs) as opposed to the brain patronizer which is reed himself
1: uh, <laughs> is, the Brain patternizer because Reeds may be a genius, but he cannot get snappy names done. He really can't.
0: Is After the recent appearance of the Puppet Master, he decides to develop a bioelectric field to permanently surround the headquarters and prevent any outside force from seizing control of everyone's minds. And essentially, he needs everyone to get their brains scanned so that, you know, they more or less have a baseline that they can operate from. For some strange, crazy reason, Alicia is, I can't, I won't let you experiment with my mind. And everyone's like, what? And even Ben's like, even Franklin went through without a whimper. Which I'm just like, well, you know, why would Fra- Franklin trust his dad? Who's going to be, whatever. But anyway... Um, and it's great. Alicia is like, no, I would prefer to have Johnny and me move out of here than to subject myself to a needless health risk. And then Sue pops up and says, "Stop right there, lady. I am deeply offended about by your implications about my husband. The only risk to your health is your stubbornness, which is again, what the fuck? Like, I kind of know what Defalco's doing, but, but again, it's just this all right. Idea, Susan, I like... listen. She says, yeah, she does. She's like, but she also says." consider what reed has to say then decide whether you stay or go but i won't permit anyone to endanger my family out of peak like what the hell like she she just said like johnny and i will move out and there's also a way again in that weird thing of um subject myself to a needless health risk is is again to falco lampshading a plot turn or not you're not sure, but I feel like that's
1: the. Well, the I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think in the did it, it's become, and again, it's really difficult to say this because I read this issue having known the plot twist, mm-hmm. but I feel that between the last issue and that scene, you can tell that something is up with Alicia. Yes, yes, I agree, I agree.
0: But one of the things that I sort of like about it, I mean, if you hadn't read last issue, you might think, oh, she's pregnant, you know. Or you, having read the last issue, you're like, oh, she's clearly avoiding trying to get a brain scan for some reason. What could be going wrong, going on? But before we know it, we're on to the mad thinker who has just gone through the um, uh, unexpected power change that uh, Graham mentions and more or less throws himself into the body of an android in his New York uh, Manhattan base of headquarters because Puppet Master has come with it, come to meet him and basically um, begged for his help. Uh, Our last association might have ended badly, he says, but I'm desperate. And the Mad Thinker says, well, I've noted Alicia's aberrations in her behavior because that's exactly what the master is bothered by. And he says, I'm prepared to share my conclusions with you for a small favor. You must destroy the Fantastic Four. And the puppet master says quite smartly, that's insane. I fought them many times and lost. And the mad thinker says, not this time. From the moment you read this information that he's pulled off a computer, they are as good as dead. Um, And then we comes to another creepy scene where listeners will be very happy to know that I'm going to read too much into it. Um, And Graham is going to chastise me. But essentially, we come to Alicia, who has a meeting uh, in a Tony Park Avenue art gallery where the um, owner is going to be removing her pieces from the display because otherworldly abstractions are dead in today's market. Um, Yeah, so like a Park Avenue art gallery. The public only seems to want representational pieces for you. They like your old stuff. And Alicia says, must I compromise my art? And the buyer says, only if you want to sell, my dear. Mm, DeFalco.
2: Right,
1: exactly. It's such a great, like, again, shading it.
0: Yeah. So then comes the scene where Graham's going to think that I'm nuts, that Johnny basically has his balls out and is juggling them in front. Of, oh, I'm sorry, his flame balls out and is juggling them in front of a bunch of female admirers. Uh, His blind wife stumbles out and says, Johnny, are you here? I want to leave now. And one of the women who's been entertained by uh, Johnny's blazing balls says, Is that your girlfriend? And he says, Wife, too bad. I was looking forward to your next move, she says. And he says, Yeah, me too. And then walks off with his wife and then looks back at, uh, I'm assuming her ass, uh, I guess, but that's only because of thumb placement that I can figure out which angle he's sort of looking at.
1: No, no, he's 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 looking at her front like we are seeing the ass. So he's
0: staring at her pedenda is what you're saying. Yes. OK, I so you're saying that that woman is standing with her hand on her hip in a way that her thumb is back towards her butt. Right yeah I guess that's what she's I guess that's what she's I guess that's how you have to do it right you can't do that front facing okay you're right Graham I don't know anatomy thank you for clearing that up but the main point is it seems to suggest that Johnny is you know um sexually excited by the possibility of some outside female attention go ahead graham shoot that down
1: no no you're 100 percent right and it's a very very strange scene especially seeing what the scene that comes next yeah uh which again defalco is setting up Actually, i'm not quite sure what he's setting up considering what happens in the next issue right but it's so at odds with everything we've seen prior to this with the exception of it weirdly plays along with the Engelhart stuff. It plays along with the Engelhart. St- well, it's actually the weird chain
0: effect of the Engelhart stuff with the Simonson stuff because the Engelhart stuff, Engelhart is trying to position it as if Johnny, well, he he's not trying to. He literally positions it as Johnny is in love with two women at the same time. Then, when Simonson comes in, Johnny is horny for Nebula, because, but it makes it seem like Nebula has taken over his mind. At this point, again, considering he just likes a girl in shorty shorts uh, on the street that he doesn't know at all, I think DeFalco is more or less saying, Johnny is just horny and married too young. Uh, I guess. Which would be interesting like you said is an interesting choice considering where the storyline ends up going after this anyway the next scene is Johnny being like yeah everything's great while talking to Sue in the kitchen and being like ah everything's great because I'm the greatest and you're the best and uh, hey by the way how exactly do you and Reed you know do it by which he means have sex which is weird to me no I'm kidding
1: Graham I'm, I'm, I was totally baiting you on that one No, like... but that, actually I love this scene Because he goes, how do you redo really do it? All this time you've been together and it's like you're still in your honeymoon. Which bears no resemblance to the relationship he's witnessed between Reed and Sue. One of the things that I think is... He's seen them split up twice!
0: Exactly! Which is hilarious. And then on top of that, I mean, again, the thing that's really funny is you see, um, like, uh, Sue deliver, like, a cup of coffee to Reed, who's entirely distracted which is pretty great you know she actually starts talking to him and he's like I- i'm sorry susan did you say something i didn't realize you were here and she says some honeymooner which i thought was really funny again there's parts where De Falco is is funny um and uh it makes up for a lot it really does carry things a long way you know um but yeah, what is the point of that that thing other than he's other than Johnny saying like I never realized how much work was involved in being married and reads and Susan's like oh it's you know it's 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 a few of us do but it comes with practice as you as you point out says the woman who's is, who's is more or less like left her husband twice. Uh, During the course
1: of these issues Meanwhile Uh, uh, But then the very next thing is She goes to Dr. Reed And reads basically like Oh thanks for the tea I'm not listening to you Yeah exactly It's the weirdest Like those Those two and a half pages Are really really strange Yeah And really especially strange In a story which Spoilers everyone Is literally about to reveal That Johnny Johnny's wife is not who he thinks she is Yep And later we'll reveal that Johnny still loves her, Mm. despite that. Yes. All of that is weird. Mm -hmm. Like Johnny has doubts about his marriage until he learns that she's been lying to him all along, and then he's completely committed.
0: Well, of course. Is the take. You know, honestly, one could make an argument, and I think it makes sense, that Johnny is in over his head, is married too young, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't, love his wife, he just has a little trouble with the fact that he's got, you know, he's still got a wandering eye, which, A, okay, that is something that does happen in real life and I think is sort of worth acknowledging and is kind of okay and makes sense. And B, you know, he then learns that he has a wife who can shape change into any hot woman that he wants to have sex with uh, and suddenly realizes that's the answer to all of his problems. Moving on. <laughs> Graham keeps not taking the bait. Anyway, <laughs> so after that strange sequence, um, Reed basically expositions to Sue that he's running a few diagnostic tech spe- tests because one of the brain scans he took earlier has been exhibiting some rather intriguing anomalies, he says, which is amazing because he doesn't actually tell... Uh, Sue, which one? She doesn't have any interest in, in actually knowing which one, and maybe, who knows, maybe Reed doesn't actually know, in which case, there's a guy who does
1: not know how to design a preliminary test. Uh, well, here's the thing, Jeff. Mm-hmm. He, he's not telling her because, obviously, he doesn't want the readers to know. Right. Uh, DeFalco doesn't want the readers to know. But Sue is looking at the screen, so for all we know, the screen says, it's Alicia! Uh,
0: yeah. Which is why she she doesn't recoil in shock or mention the fact that Alicia was weird and fucked up about it. She just says, never mind, you seem very entranced with that screen. <laughs> <laughs> Sue can't read. It explains so much. This is the secret of the Fantastic Four all these years. Part of the reason I'm why glad,
1: Reed we got there.
0: <laughs> seems like a genius to her is the fact that she is shockingly illiterate. So... Um, shockingly, shockingly <laughs> illiterate. So while they're having this conversation, you see Alicia listening with some
1: concern uh, out in the hallway. Then you Subtlety, jump. Subtlety. To... Thy name is DeFalco, <laughs> indeed. Then you... Someone's brain pattern is weird. Could it be the person who is hiding around outside going, huh? Okay, so this is the thing. You've got Alicia
0: hiding there. Then it's followed up with a sequence where the puppet master is like, No, no, the thinkers' conclusions are totally insane. And yet they explain everything. Unless I use this material, Alicia is good as dead, but it will set the Fantastic Four on a path that could ultimately lead to their destruction. And without them, my stepdaughter cannot be saved. And then you cut to the thing making a sandwich, uh, stumbling across an intruder in the dark with the lights out, and he runs in, yelling his trademark, and then uh, has trouble hitting this amorphous, shadowy, shape-changing thing, which very cleverly is drawn as like a black silhouette to make things a little um, less obvious. Uh, It manages to escape, so it seems, Ben chases it around a corner and all but bumps into Alicia and uh, who seems rattled by his appearance. And she's like, um, uh, he says, did you, did you hear or feel something pass you? Something slimy? No, no, Ben, nothing came this way. Are you all right? You sound very agitated. And then everybody shows up. Oh, actually, Graham, you'll be happy to know this issue's topical reference is um, when the rest of the FF show up because of Ben's all of of the commotion that he's made Um, Reed says what's the commotion big fella and then Johnny says is Arsenio ragging on you again which is is awesome people we remember Arsenio Hall don't we of course
1: we do right Graham (laughs) to be fair when this came out people wouldn't even have to remember it would be topical yeah except
0: let me tell you as someone who watched Arsenio ragged on nobody Arsenio was a was a cat,
1: like. But the the Marvel Universe, Arsenio, oh, good point. Dick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: Curse you, six one six, Arsenio. Curse you. Anyway, uh yeah. So they can't find the mysterious oily figure, and it looks like Ben's the only one who caused all the damage uh, in the lab. And he's like, well, give me a break, Stretch. I don't usually pull my punches when I'm fighting in the dark. No one can find an intruder. No one can find a forced entry. Um, uh, Franklin is like, maybe Uncle Benji had a bad dream and is holding a Teenage min- Mutant Ninja Turtle, which I just realized, which I think is sort of clever. Um, basically, everyone walks off and being like, hmm, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, clearly Ben was having a bad dream and was sleepwalking with an enormous sandwich that was that had a lot of gross ingredients.
1: That that's what I love. They're like maybe I had a bad dream. And Johnny picks up a sandwich and goes, considering the evidence, I'd say that's a pretty good guess. No, Johnny, just the opposite. Yeah. If he has a fucking sandwich, he clearly wasn't asleep. Exactly. exactly. You are the world's worst detective. And everyone goes, Well, makes sense. Okay, let's bring
0: Franklin back to bed. Uh as it turns out though, of course, they're the Reed does not have to build a new brain patternizer even though it was ruined by Ben because he made backup copies as well as the diagnostic results. And um and which is great. He's like, I'm certain that's what our visitor wanted. And she says, you think there was an alien presence? How is that possible if no one got into or out of the building? And he says, I'm afraid that answer lies somewhere within these brain scans. And I'm like... Oh, so he still doesn't know? Huh. Uh, anyway, Ben, who's out walking in the rain, frustrated, meets uh, the Puppet Master, pulls him into an alley. Thing threatens to punch him, because that's actually how Thing greets everyone. And Puppet Master's like, no, 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 we may have been enemies in the past, but we always had shared a common ground, our love for Alicia. She's in desperate danger. You must save her. And you must believe that my love for my stepdaughter outweighs any desires I have for revenge. And he—he Ben says, why should I? And then cut to the interior of the Four Freedoms Plaza where Alicia and Johnny are uh, basically talking. And Johnny's kind of like, Ben is not making any sense. He's kind of, this isn't like him. He doesn't have a lot of imagination. And Alicia's like, so you think the puppet master is manipulating him and trying to control him? And he's like, Johnny's like, what? Huh? No, that doesn't, what? And again, here's the thing where Alicia says, speaking of family, there's something very important for us to discuss. Where are you? I want you in kissing distance for this news. And... Uh, just at that moment, Ben breaks in and more or less proceeds to talk like a crazy person in order to be able to create more drama to get to us to the end of the issue. But um, And incidentally, he basically runs around, the, Reed and Sue see that the Puppet Master has uh, basically broken in with the thing and is more or less... Sue's conclusion is is that the puppet master has been um, under control. Sue starts to run off, but Reed grabs her and says, "You mustn't interfere." Pulls her back, and she's like, "Oh no, you're contro- not. You, Reed, you're controlled by the re- puppet master too." Cut
1: to um, wait, Johnny. Wait, wait, but let let's over a say a Reed isn't. Yes. We find that out later. Why did Reed stop Sue going there? Okay, but see... Because one way or another, the Papa Master's still there, even if Reed has worked out what he's worked out, as we'll later discover. Why is he like, it's okay. Yeah. Ben's still going to go after Alicia, and the Papa Master's still there, but it's all fine. Yep. No, see, this is the thing that is, again,
0: where everyone starts having to act dramatically just like... Irrational you you have uh, you have been saying stuff like um, you know I'm going to kill your woman
2: <laughs> which which is just like
0: uh, that's not very helpful like he
1: could actually just dis- does you know describe exactly. things that's just it yeah. Because theoretically, at this point, Ben knows what we will find out by the end of the issue. Yeah. Yep. And his first impulse is, what if I go in and don't explain what's going on, but just threaten the person he thinks is his wife? Yeah. Yep. That's going to be fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, And again, there's all this stuff that he's sort of like, you know, basically, of course... Johnny's flying around and says, fight it, Ben. Don't let the Puppet Master use you like this. You can regain control if you'll only try. You must try. And Ben says, you ought to put that spiel on one of them TV preacher programs. Maybe the Rubes will buy it. Me, I can pass on salvation for now. Like, that is ridiculous. And then, of course, it's, it's, uh, uh, oh, it's, so essentially they continue to fight. And then, basically, Ben manages to beat Johnny thanks to a well-placed fire extinguisher. Hollers out, Alicia, I'm coming for you. Then Reed's like, okay, it's been enough time. We should show up. And Sue's like, yeah, I well, still we don't should, understand we why do you restrained now. me. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, what did she say? Was, I still don't understand why you restrained me. You had to be alerted to the fact that I had already activated my protective biofield. What? I guess that's there's that's not a reason. And honestly, I didn't even know who was saying it because it looked like Sue was saying it. But of course, he's like, Sue's like, but if the puppet master isn't behind this, why is Ben going berserk? He must have come to the same startling conclusion as my test One of our brain patterns is not human. And at the
1: very, I love that he's still saying it that like, sure, he's saying it that way to preserve the the last page reveal. Yes, but it's so funny that he's being so vague. Yeah, Who knows who it is, Sue? Maybe it's me. Right? You know, Maybe well, my brain pattern is human. All right. Maybe so, it's you.
0: So we get to the last page reveal, which is that Alicia, what's happening to Alicia? She seems to be changing, transforming, and Ben says, I got real bad news for you. Your wife, your loving wife, is a stinking scroll, and there is a scroll in uh, Alicia's place. Shock, horror, dismay, what the hell is going on? Now, again... I think as, as retcons go, I think there is some ingenuity to this one. What I find fascinating about this particular issue is there's three ways to basically try and present what's going on in a way that has maximal drama, maximum drama, and they sort of seem to screw everything up. Like... The whole scene where you can even have it weighted one of two ways, I suppose, which is everyone thinks that Ben is the one with the weirdo brain patterns. We never think that. There's also the scene where Ben breaks in and, again, everyone thinks that he's controlled by the puppet master. But, again, the readers don't if there were just certain scenes that were missing, like if you even managed to stage the sequence where Ben breaks the entire lab, you know, or you see the aftermath where he bumps into Alicia and is upset and says that he saw a thing, you know, that we don't see, and then we see the busted up lab. Like, there's a lot of things in which the story makes a half-assed attempt to be like, who is this strange replacement intruder imposter and trying to point fingers towards it being Ben. Like we already have in the previous issue well, this whole well, idea that's... that Reed's saying that he Ben's acting under a lot
1: of strain and kind of out mm-hmm. of character, right? Mm-hmm. And you've had the, the suggestion that, uh, under my reading that Ben's the one who destroyed the sculpture as a pretext for fighting John. Exactly, so you, you, ha- right. you have a maybe ben is cracking up yeah may you... maybe or maybe is going on on with ben right maybe he is but, the intruder yeah maybe there is something going but on. the falco's inability to not lampshade what he's doing yep completely undercuts that yeah. because if you cut out the puppet master scenes mm-hmm. where he is going oh my god something weird is going on with my daughter right then you'd be like oh maybe it is Ben, well it's really difficult to to get there i think with with the way the book is done because devaco can't stop himself yeah going listen i'm laying it all out in front of you i'm literally doing everything but saying it's delicia you guys
0: well there's that but again it's also like the sequence with the mad thinker which really doesn't seem to serve much purpose i mean how do i put it DeFalco, I think, is making sort of what seems like a very Marvel Comics-y mistake, which is in trying to to build the stakes for what's going to come, he actually undercuts what's happening in the moment. Like, he does not... He undercuts all the dramatic possibilities, but then loads them as if they're dramatic and happening anyway. So, the idea that you, you could have, like... If you were all pointing it toward what's going on with Ben, why is Ben acting so weird? Oh, maybe he's being controlled by the Puppet Master. Maybe he's not actually a human being, but is some sort of intruder. Like, all this stuff that they're all, that that DeFalco's pointing to, because he's got the scenes with the Puppet Master, because
1: he has the scenes with the Mad Thinker and the Puppet Master... Mm -hmm. like yeah but it's true like as you're saying like if you took out the scene where ben is fighting with the shapeless mm -hmm. silhouette in the lab and just had them discovering it and ben saying no there's something in here Mm -hmm. but you didn't like the reader didn't see it yeah then you would be building tension for oh maybe something is wrong with ben that's right there's like maybe this isn't ben Mm -hmm. exactly
2: there's so yeah.
0: many ways to, to craft it but because they had to do all the rest of this stuff um, it just it just negates it so so there is a way in which this shocking last page reveal like you said like you you already knew it going in and I did too but There's that thing of... I can't imagine anyone... Like, someone might be shocked in the particulars of it. Like, I can't believe Alicia's a scroll But the idea that Alicia is clearly something, and after everything that it's building towards, is some kind of imposter. Like, it's not... Like you said, it gets lampshaded so heavily. And yet, at the same time, DeFalco's trying to build tension by having these characters talk to one another in ridiculous degrees of ambiguity. Like, just absurd, absurd degrees. Anyway,
1: um, and yet I kind of like the issue. (laughs) But that's just that, again, we're at the point where, like, it's not a great comic, or it may not even be a good comic, yet it is an enjoyable comic. Like, it is not bad, and it hits enough, Right notes right? Where, and a lot of this also gets back to the thing I was saying before, I actually think about Solo, about the Star Wars film that if you go in expecting the worst mm-hmm. and you don't get the worst, you come away going, huh, oh, maybe that was good Well, but I think there's also just something
0: to the idea of When you go to McDonald's and you get a Big Mac, you know what you're going to get. Like, you know what you want, right? And it's not necessarily, quote-unquote, good, but it's also what you want, I guess, you know? And admittedly, one of the things that McDonald's did is made sure that the idea of, like, the Big Mac that you get has a certain quality. Like, you may not like a Big Mac, but the whole point is to make sure you never get a like one's worse than the other. One's never going to be better than the other either, you know, but the whole idea is they're made absolutely the same for that degree of ridiculous consistency. Mm -hmm. And, And so part of me does feel like there's a way in which I'm like, yeah, this is dumb. It's out of character. It undercuts its own drama. But, you know, panel by panel, page by page, it has sort of, the fun of a marvel comic you know which is
1: and also the fantastic four are acting like the fantastic four
0: yeah i mean they're not acting like recognizably uh, recognizable human beings but they are acting like the fantastic four which is which is weird that it's a creepy difference you know honestly i think i have to say the part of it that works like you said is the light touch is is that even though defalco is kind of crafting a who's the stranger intruder in you know inside our system it's not really being played for a lot of
1: angst on behalf of the characters no not in the slightest no like no one is actually upset or scared scared or even
0: really worried And it doesn't have them, you know, anyone else, if you had Byrne doing it, you would have all the characters more or less suspecting one another, starting to turn on one another, and then, of course, him pointing out that they're really a family and they understand one another, and of course they wouldn't turn on each other, and how dare you think that, you fools, only I, John Byrne, understand the Fantastic Four,
1: you know, but... No, but but also in Byrne's world, like Reed would never turn on the rest of the- well, of course not. they would all turn on each Reed, other Reed and Reed, have, Reed Reed would have an amazing science thing, well, he would have an
0: amazing science thing, or what would happen is he would do the "I'm so sorry that I couldn't actually you know stop each of you from turning on one another. It's just that until these test results were you know done, I couldn't say anything because I wasn't a hundred percent sure who the intruder was. Even though I strongly suspected from way back in issue, you know, 300. Exactly, yeah. Ever since we came back from the Secret Wars. Anyway, so weirdly enough, the fact that people are like, oh, Ben smashed shit up, including destroying Reed's test. Oh, maybe he had a bad sandwich and wasn't sleeping well, even though that explanation makes no sense because he hadn't eaten
1: the sandwich. It was still on the plate.
0: he wasn't asleep but you know it could happen but
1: everyone, right? everyone sleepwalks makes sandwiches like drops the sandwich and has a fight with something right we've all done it we've all, we've all been there you know and so and again weirdly it
0: works it is it is weird the extent to which part of it is uh is as much as and and I guess it's hard to split out when you look at the Lee Kirby issues. If you look at them, Lee is always trying to soften Kirby's uh stuff by throwing in the comedic patter. But Kirby himself actually makes the the goes for like the wide laughs and the thing getting out of the shower and
1: slipping on, you know, a rubber ducky, you know. Um, oh yeah, no, carpi loved the slapstick. Like, yeah, there was a jokiness to the Fantastic Four from really early on.
0: Yeah, that's that thing. It started off as kind of a, a monster body horror comic, and and then morphs into a, a a lighthearted family comic, you know, with with a lot of a, a lot of loving comedic shtick about about a family essentially and uh, a squabbling family. And it's interesting how much that hasn't really apparently existed in quite the same permutation. And the fact that it's back, the fact that we've had two issues in a row that open up with kind of here's, here's Reed in a lab with a gizmo um, is, is, weirdly maybe i don't know if it always if it's a thing that will always work but it's working in these issues and i don't know if that's because we've gone without for such a long time or there's some level of facility and acuity that Defalco's able to bring to it i mean like i'm like even as i'm saying that well
1: clearly that's not possible you know (laughs) okay so let's move on to 358 Mm-hmm. Which is the uh, 30th anniversary issue, I guess? It's the triple size 30th
0: anniversary spectacular.
1: It's such a weird... It, it's packed. This issue is genuinely packed. Yes. Because it is the backstory of, of Lyra, the... The Skrull, who has been pretending to be Alicia. Also, Lyra is such a wonderfully on the nose name. Mm-hmm. She's been lying to him. Her <laughs> name is Lyra. <laughs> um, God, I gotta admit, I
0: of course missed that, as I do with most comic book names. It was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Uh,
1: but she. Uh, and, and so they, they end up going. I, this is a very quick plot synopsis, and it, it's giving the plot all that it really deserves, let's be honest. The Fantastic Four and Lyra go to the Skrull homeworld, the new Skrull homeworld, where they confront Pybok, the Power Skrull, who is awesome. Yeah. I really... Pybock's Power, power Skrull. He is a wonderfully generic, shitty, <laughs> like, villain. He's like, I'm like Super Skrull, but I've got a different name on the X-Men's powers, so... Now it does it. They don't spell it out as the X Men, do they? Do they? No, oh, but he has he has ice powers, electrical powers, and he turns into Colossus at one point.
0: Exactly. So it's kind of like, huh? Which I think, I think that's actually really funny if you think about it. You know, it's it's
1: weirdly subtle. Mm-hmm. Like the, the you know the previous Super Scroll had the Fantastic Four powers. Now he, this this one has the X Men's powers. There's something I like about that. It, it's. It, I don't know. It, it works, and especially that they don't lampshade it for everything that Defalco mm-hmm. really, really leans on and goes, "Do you get it yet?" Yep. The fact that he doesn't call this out is yeah. kind of great.
0: He doesn't call it out, and it's also now that I think about it, it's it it is very witty because, of course, the X Men are outselling everything
1: by this point. Exactly. Yeah. That's just it. Like when the Super Scroll came along, it was Marvel's lead book. Mm-hmm. And now the X Marvel's lead book, and so of course the scrolls are going after them. Yeah. Like there's something. Witty about that. Yeah, there really is. You no, know, that, that doesn't get leaned on. Anyway, so the, the, there's the showdown, and the FF basically get their asses kicked until Lyra steps into the fray on behalf of the Fantastic Four, deciding that the Fantastic Four are her family no matter what. Yeah. And she gets killed mm-hmm. as a result. Yeah.
0: Literally doing the classic jumping in slow motion and taking the bullet. Slash, uh, indestructible—the uh, power blast that was intended for Johnny. So,
1: and, and there is a, a a death scene where Johnny admits that he still loves her, and she's like, "I I've always loved you. Mm-hmm. I just wanted you to love me." And also, by the way, I'm pregnant.
0: Oh no, no, <laughs> she she says that the, the pregnancy is a lie. She had said oh, earlier, yeah.
1: I, I, I was totally misunderstanding that then. Yeah, yeah, Which, no. That's good because the pregnancy never made sense to me. Yeah. So it's like she's a shape changer. See, this
0: is what drives me crazy. What the hell are you people talking about? She's a shape changer. If she has, if she, if she changes shape into a human woman, she can. She's got all the reproductive
1: organs. Sure, but then she becomes a scroll again, and then she becomes like a monster. Like I, I feel that even if she looks like a human female but well, that doesn't necessarily mean she has all the all the the yeah, human ridiculous. parts inside. It's I know I know as but part of me is like yeah. Like it, it it's one of those things that we literally don't think about it too much. We'll see
0: again. I part of me is like and and to be fair so what happens is is that as the issue opens Johnny is freaking out because of course this either he keeps saying that this woman he's having a rough time dealing with the fact that Lyra is Hasn't replaced his wife; rather, she has
1: always been his wife, and has lied Which I to, have him to him. him and is, is one of my favorite parts of this reveal. Yeah. I, yeah, I do think this is a pretty good retcon. Oh, I think so too. Actually, yeah. I really do. I'm I'm
0: kind of impressed. As much as I enjoyed Englehart's uh, explanation for the whole Alicia-Ben situation that he never got to launch, I kind of love the fact that uh, DeFalco comes up with another one that
1: also kind of works pretty well, which is essentially... I, and, yeah, And sets up a, an interesting plot dynamic going forward, which, to be fair, the book doesn't really follow up on properly. Yeah but the idea that because i should say they find alicia uh, when they go, the reason they go and invade the scroll homeworld is because alicia is there yes and they go and rescue alicia and they do and alicia wakes up and is like oh, ben i'm so glad you're here i love you so much right. which is an, an interesting soap opera dynamic yeah and, and flips the the status quo of the last few years on its head yes
0: yeah which again Very clever for people who are curious. And I think part of the reason why we read this stuff is so that you don't have to. The scrolls are essentially trying to figure out a way to, um, you know, take down the Fantastic Four. And they're like, we should put a spy in the FF. And they're like, well, wait, we can't do that. It takes forever to create those powers and it's costly and all this stuff. And we're like, why don't we just have them? Why don't we just have them uh, be... We'll take Alicia. We'll, we'll basically swap out the girlfriend of the thing, and we'll put a scroll in place, and and basically be able to spy on them that way. One of the things that I love, and again, it's 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 gloriously melodramatic, is um, Paibok, the power scroll, who is the commander, has had an had a uh, a relationship with uh, is it. It's it's Lijah, right? It's L Y. Is it
1: Lijah? Uh, no, it... no,
0: no. L Y J A. Yeah, files. but see, it's so it's not a playoff liar. It's a playoff of also Alicia a little bit because you can read it as Lijah or Lijah, right? So it's kind of it's kind of clever, kind of clever. That Defalco's yeah, look, got moves. Look, look
1: at that Defalco.
0: Look at that. Uh... So. <laughs> so it's great She she's like Pibok and I had once shared a relationship it had ended badly to this day I do not know if my selection was a form of privilege or punishment and I gotta say that's a pretty good romantic dict- heel dick turn you know what I mean in the sense of Pibok is kind of a shitty villain but it's a that's kind of a really nice way to to um, establish his bona fides As a real turd, you know, is the fact that he's going to do this to the woman that he had, like, a bad relationship ending with. So, of course, what happens is three of the Fantastic Four go off to the Secret Wars and disappear. And so this is the perfect time to swat, take the old Alicia out and put the new Alicia in so that no one's, everyone's distracted. And then, of course, what happens is... Ben doesn't come back and, you know, Liza has her job to do. And so she's like, without the thing, there would be no need for his girlfriend. Years of sacrifice and preparation would have been for naught, unless I could find a way to salvage the situation. And so I adjusted my strategy and basically seduces Johnny. But of course, and this is one of my favorite panels, like if ever I get another tattoo, I want it to read... This caption, contrary to the most sacred laws of deep cover, I fell in love. I'm like, ah. I just love the idea (laughs) that, ah, but also, like, man, deep cover has sacred laws. Like, no, it doesn't. You know what I mean? Just this idea scroll of Scroll like, deep cover does. Scroll deep cover is like, rule one, don't fall in love. Rule two, don't eat fat foods. Fattening foods will totally throw off your cover. Because, you know, scrolls, lactose intolerant. It's a, it's a problem. So anyway, uh, <laughs> she falls in love with Johnny and then they get married and she's like you know, we were married. And of course, Johnny's like, no, no, you're you're not my wife. And she's like, I, it, it's true. I'm the woman you fell in love with. I shared your bed, your life. I love you, Johnny. And I am carrying your baby. And actually, again, I love that there's a close-up because they're in the lab. It's close-up on Johnny's face. There's a page turn. And it's Johnny quiet in the dark on top of a building with like no captions or anything. I'm like, that's a neat little bit of storytelling. That's a nice little transition.
1: And um, I have got to say this yeah. issue and two issues hence mm-hmm. there is there are scenes between Ben and Johnny yeah where they're both like this is really fucked up yeah are you okay and I love that yeah yeah I genuinely genuinely love that cuz you we've been through the angle heart where like to hate each other mm mm-hmm. mhm and then they're like we don't actually hate each other this is just really weird yeah and then by simon comes along like it's just it's forgotten it's like yeah. yeah sure this shit happened right and there's something really rewarding to me about when this retcon comes in mm-hmm. that the two of them kind of check in and go we're both really fucked by this
0: yeah are you okay yeah exactly exactly well and actually this is one of the things that is kind of interesting having talked about this as it goes forward as you mentioned the soap opera twist is they do rescue Alicia and it's the Alicia that's still in love with Ben and she's in love with Ben doesn't quite understand what the hell is going on and Johnny's in love with her good classic soap opera twist one of the things that's very interesting to me is is how DeFalco takes the focus on off of Ben in that. And one of the things that is, you know, classic pity party, center of attention, Ben Grimm, which the story even more or less, you know, the run opens with him in prime. uh, Nobody understands me. No one gets me. You get a couple of issues where Ben is more or less A, not making it all about himself and is more concerned about Johnny. And B, when Alicia's there, Ben just again, without it seeming really um, uh, super underlined, he's just trying to stay the hell away from her. Like, and and you don't even get the panel of him being like, "I don't know what to do" or "I can't do anything with John." You know, because Johnny still loves her. He just stays away. And on the one hand, it's kind of a weird choice,
1: but it. Also kind of works. It works, yeah. yeah. It, it makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it rings true. There's, for all that we will give DeFalco shit mm-hmm. for the writing in this upcoming run, and really, I've read ahead, we're going to give DeFalco a lot of shit for the writing in this upcoming run. Yeah. There are moments where he has a really nice, subtle touch mm-hmm. with emotional beats. Yeah. And it's never the big emotional beats. Mm-hmm he does really nice subtle work mm-hmm. with with Ben's response to, to what's happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and with Ben's relationship to Johnny within this honestly I like the fact that there's a really short
0: scene that has him being like he goes and tells the puppet master he's like and he even says I don't like you but you're her stepfather and I figured it's only right for me to tell you what's happening and, and he and I kind of like the there's a little bit where they're it sort of almost looks like they're going to be friends. And again, part of me is like, Ah, I like this. Why didn't they do this sooner? And the fact is they had a whole little song and dance around issue three hundred and the marriage issue to be able to make this work. And that kind of I ended up enjoying that there too. And of course, because this is a quote-unquote classic Marvel comic, Puppet Master goes back and is like, The Thing's a fool. He doesn't realize that I blame the Fantastic Four for my stepdaughter's abduction, but I cannot lash out them until they have rescued her.
1: Um, to be fair, he's actually entirely right. Mostly. I mean, mostly. No, but... But, well, she wouldn't have been abducted if it wasn't for the Fantastic Four. Well,
0: if they didn't exist, but it's not because they... I mean, it makes sense in a super villainy kind of way, but, you know, sure. But uh, part of me is like, eh. Anyway, so, yeah, the other thing that, that I should be mentioned is honestly i i ended up liking Lijah. that's the other thing that is there's such a short period of time she is literally you find out in the previous issue that she's a scroll she's basically there being like i swear to you i'm faithful i love you and then they're going to you know invade the scrolls war world to rescue alicia and then they do and she dies and Johnny's like completely fucked up by the fact that she's dead because he realizes that he loves loves her, always loved her, and always will love her. And then you know, Alicia's rescued, and Johnny's still kind of weird and fucked up. Uh, and then more or less the story ends with them being trapped in space because they're hyper. You know, uh, although because,
1: that, because that's the Thinker's revenge.
0: Actually, the thing that's great is the Thinker's revenge is that the that he has <laughs> managed. He he's managed to make sure that there is bad radioactive shielding panels on the ship, and so the FF are going to basically um be destroyed by having all those panels fly off. Um it but the the fact is is that Reed's like Yeah, well, you know, ever since our first mishap in space, I've routinely designed our starships with multiple layers of radiation shielding, all ordered from different manufacturers, whereas, of course, the thinkers only approach one manufacturer for this stuff. So the mad thinkers' plan for revenge fails, but because a piece of debris punctured the hyperdrive system when the war world exploded... They can't travel through hyperspace and so they can't get back to Earth. So I just wanted to point out that again, this is DeFalco kind of doing doing a little bit of the zig when you think he's gonna zag. Like it really is the mad thinker fails in his plan, but it doesn't matter because random chance ends up fucking the FF.
1: I mean, there's a lot of zigging when it's gonna zag. Like yeah. like Elijah dying. Yeah. Is is a zig. Yeah. Completely, you know, and and honestly, Alicia immediately going, "Oh Ben, I love you." Mm -hmm. A makes perfect sense. Yes, absolutely. But it's not necessarily a dynamic you expected to see. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's a it's a weirdly great retcon. mm -hmm. It will it will go wrong really quickly. Yes. I am just going to throw this out there. I don't want to spoil it for you, right? But I, I take I take a word for it's it. It's going to go wrong really quickly, and that's a shame. But there's a lot I like about this retcon. I, I, I do. It opens too. up things for the for the characters that honestly don't really get explored. But but it's it's an it's a really interesting decision. It is, and I I like the idea of it. Now you know
0: you know Graham because you're the person who did the episodes of the Baxter Bungalow that Burn had. Uh, seeded uh, the the whole framework for Ben and Alicia's breakup before he goes off to the Secret Wars. So that is something that the scrolls never could have anticipated. But I guess we'll chalk it up to good luck. Also, one of the things that's fun reading this shit after reading the previous run of annuals is that FF Avengers Annual. Points out the when the scrolls when the super bomb is set off in the scroll empire, all the scrolls change back to their scroll
1: shape. They're not trapped in. No, no, no. It's it's the opposite. They are trapped in. No, like no, no, no. Because that's but that's a, that's a plot point in Heart Silver Surfer. Well, yeah, but
0: that's wrong too. Though I thought because that prince changes all the people, all the dudes change. That one prince's face changes, and the Bogart guy's face changes. And it's it's that um, let me see uh, let me I, I actually have the annual I, open. So
1: I'm honestly like, but wait, dude stays in the, in his battle suit.
0: Right. He had the chain shaped to fuse in the thing. Okay, yeah. So let's see. Hold on.
2: So, so maybe it's
1: oh, but yeah, by the uh, it's an entire plot point in the Angler Heart Run. Oh, you're right. Everyone, you're right. Everyone's, in the shape that they were in you're right all scrolls are trapped
0: forever in the form they were in when the bomb went off okay
1: you're yeah so So, so alicia is stuck as alicia which is or elijah stuck as alicia which is a really fun thing but it's interesting you bring that annual up because when i was reading 358 my first thought was when did they gain the ability to change back because they're all shape changing in this is it
0: Storyline. Well, and that's that's what I was going to ask you. I thought maybe it was addressed in, again, Englehart Silver Surfer. Or... If it is, it's an issue I haven't gone to
1: yet. Okay. I, I probably is.
0: Because I, I really had that thing of, like, okay, it's one thing that they have, to, but I completely misunderstood what they were saying at the end of
1: that one annual. So that's kind of a relief because I was like, huh? I mean. Like that doesn't make sense. But no, <laughs> exactly. it, it's, it's. And the reason I'm saying that is, uh, I, the reason I remember it is that. As I said when I was reading Englehart's first few silver server issues, you get, like, tables and shit. Yes. Like, Dog Plant being like, I've got to report back to the Empire, which is still <laughs> such a, a wonderful little detail that I, <laughs> I adore. Um, But 358 is is kind of the end of the three-parter, except it's really a four-parter, but the fourth part is more like a an epilogue than anything. Exactly. But there's a an odd simultaneously an energy and a lack of energy to mm-hmm. these issues mm-hmm. you know it, it feels very much like you know the, the falcon ryan know what they want to do with the book yeah and they just get straight in there yeah they're like this is the book we're doing this is it mm-hmm. here's our big dramatic opener mm-hmm. but for all that we enjoy it i think it's safe to say that you and i both do enjoy it yeah do you not also have the moment of like you and yet... <laughs> oh yeah, of
0: course. I mean, of course. I mean, there's so many ways in which this is um, kind of substandard stuff. And the advantage is that each issue moves really quickly. The fact that this issue... This is a triple-sized anniversary issue, but the the, the there's actually tons of backup shit in this too so this <coughs> the story is long but it's not it's not a triple sized it's not triple sized it actually moves pretty fucking quick i would be shocked if it it's maybe it's 30 pages maybe you know um and uh again it it doesn't overstay its welcome which in some ways part of me is like uh, uh, yeah, there's just a variety of things that are done. It's done well, it's just at the same time it's a it all still plays in the idea of the FFR. This is this is not moving forward. This is this is very comfortably rolling everything back. It's a dramatic rolling back, and the whole idea that Johnny's now in love with Alicia, who's in love with Ben. But let's not kid ourselves. This is this is a big undoing of you know a plot advancement that has been in place for you know as you point out something like five or six years, and <laughs> um. And there is something that's a little like a little trepidatious. There is something about the fact that it's like, oh yeah, the FF are being, this is all being rolled back. Like, um, you know, it's this. This is sort of this is sort of the one more day of the FF, except it's not. It's not nearly so unpalatable because at least there's some bits and pieces in it that sort of make sense, you know, but it's also, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's, it's still, it's still basically pretty decent for a big Mac, but it's a, but it's a big Mac. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is the FF in full tribute band kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the fact that you and I are so grateful for any kind of nuance or or subtlety whatsoever I mean is kind of uh, I think telling you know especially in a book like the FF where it's not really like you know everyone went you know oh my god all the nuance that Lee and Kirby brought to the first hundred issues of the FF you know so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a strange situation to be in like I had a lot of mixed feelings with this storyline in that it's like, well, I enjoyed it. So, you know, kind of that thing of like, it is what it is. It can't be all bad or it could be all bad. But I have to be can't honest and say that I enjoyed reading those issues. But there is a little bit of... Uh, um to me, there is an awareness that this is Marvel doubling down on, yeah, the FF are never going to change.
1: Yeah, very much so. And, and you know, you you mentioned that, that there are a lot of extra things in, in 358, and all of them are along the lines of, of very much looking backwards. Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah. You know, you, you get the the plot synopsis of the first issue. You get pinups of the, the villains. <laughs> you get really dull, uh, you know, the, here's an introduction to each of the heroes, yep. double page spreads. You get a, an Elliot Brown blow up of Four Freedoms Plaza, mm-hmm. which is like cute, but kind of pointless. A 30th anniversary retrospective by Peter Sanderson. Yep. That, that runs three pages. Some Marvel milestone looks like random pinups. Mm-hmm. And then a Dr. Doom backup, which is utterly pointless, looks okay
2: i guess
0: right well because it's it's art adams so it looks pretty pretty lovely it's five pages and and there's something very weird in it too i mean i if you think about because it's called it's stanley presents a tale of doom and it's the official story it's tom defalco words art adams pictures and marie javins and renee witterstadler in colors which is kind of amazing uh, and basically the gist of the story, which is sort of overselling it, is is that a dude who uh, has been hoskus um, with the Bureau of Latvian Antiquities is supposed to catalog all the rooms and contents in Doom's Castle and actually is shocked to find that the room that he has stumbled across isn't even on the manifest and doesn't officially exist the person that he has stumbled across is a shadowy character known as the editor who is in the process of literally editing one of the scenes from Simonson's run uh, where Kristoff encounters the the return of the real Doom. And um, it's, it's funny that
1: you're like, it looks pretty... <laughs> he, he... He's not just editing, he's correcting history. That's exactly how he describes what he's doing. Yeah, he's correcting history. But he
0: actually says, like, um, he goes on and says, you know, because the guy's like, but that isn't how it happened. He's like, it is now. Truth and history are subject to interpretation. Our sovereign has freed us from that unnecessary burden. As a man in your position must surely realize the master intends to leave an accurate record of his glorious reign for future generations. That's why the entire castle's wired for sound and pictures. He selects the appropriate data for this record and the manner in which it is projected. And the other dude's like, what about the objective facts caused, like the damage sustained by the castle? Never happened. And the guy's like, how long will this particular truth last? As long as our master wills it. There are even some versions which credit all of his defeats to his robots. So its I'm not sure where DeFalco's going here. On the one hand, it's as if he's turning around and more or less one interpretation is he's impishly casting doubt on Simonson's previous story, which was casting doubt on everyone else's previous story.
1: Mm-hmm. Well that that's how I read it. I read as he's basically retconning the retcon. Right. Um but it's it's weird depending on how DeFalco
0: is cuz I don't think that DeFalco is like a dumb dude. You know what I mean? So he's it's interesting that in a comic where he is retconning one of you know this huge substantial change in ff history he follows it up with a five-page story in which the editor is a character who rewrites history but is specifically aligned as um evil and um like aligned with despots and tyrants you know like it's if this had been a five-page story that Englehart had written that had gotten canned that they decided to throw in here for, you know, it's like, eh, we got five pages to fill and better this than in a Marvel fanfare or something, it would almost make more sense, you know what I'm saying, from the role of what's going on inside the person's head. But from DeFalco, it's kind of strange. Like best it, it the best interpretation is is that it is it is self-aware and sort of humorous like cynically humorous or humorously cynical i suppose you know which is essentially defalco rather than you know i guess the most generous way to look at it is defalco being like yeah i'm believe me I'm not the guy who wants to change the Fantastic Four back to the way that they are, but that's the way that it's got to be, you know? Like, this is just a simple, sad necessity. Which, again, is weird, because it's so underlined with the idea of the editor is also, you know, he's doing Doom's work. He's doing the work of of tyrants. And so... I don't know if again as editor-in-chief that is in the process of you know starting to knock heads with this significant amount of power that Bob Harris is wielding I I just don't know how to interpret it but I have to say it strikes me as a far more interesting fucked up thing than just kind of a weird Than, then you're like oh it looks pretty
1: but you see uh... I whereas I am my response is like I think you're reading far too into it I think it is a self-aware uh I am rewriting this piece of history and I'll pretend that it's like this big, big deep dark thing. Uh-huh. I, I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily goes beyond that.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I I kinda
0: get it because it doesn't necessarily make any sense coming from the angle that it comes from,
1: but well, especially coming from DeFalco. Well yeah. I, I you know coming right. from the editor in chief. Well, yeah, it, it it seems particularly uh not just self aware self loathing
0: i don't know if but we don't necessarily know to what extent that might not be the case you know there's been a lot of people walking through the marvel's halls who present the you know uh you know hey everything's gr-, you know again the idea of the cost of m- most people who came into marvel comics are were fans people who really believed in change and at a certain point they realize that they are serving the illusion of change and some people take that with a lot of stride in a lot of stride but i think in a ways it's it's a it's the way it's got to be and there's it's a little bit of a blow you know i think mm-hmm. and i think it there's there's a way in which i think de Falco, i think maybe de Falco being aware that marvel comics can't change is like he is part of the reason why he's like so let's just bring them back to where they were when they were great because they're never going to change so let's just let's just roll back the clock but i do think that there's something that's a little even if it's just in a very strangely defensive way doing something that you know, where he's like, hey, yeah, blame the editor and he's evil, you know, where it's which is just really <laughs> Ralph Macchio's a dick. Yeah, it's it's really funny. But it's also but it's but there's I also do feel like it's hard to believe that someone can write something like that that skirts so closely with the meta and not have it resonate in part because i just feel like that that level of meta is n- not that prevalent in comics at this particular point in time you know
1: but maybe I'm... i know I, I i i can see that one it's in particular is not present in Marvel's comics, and particularly not in Defalco's comics. Yeah, Defalco is a self-aware writer, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that he's someone who normally goes for that level of meta-text within his own work. Right, uh, and and so I uh, that that does support what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll leave this one up to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I because my, my my immediate impulse is I j- it just doesn't seem like Defalco, but at the same time there's a lot about it that doesn't seem like Devalco, right. so maybe you're right. Yeah. You know? Right. And ultimately, it
0: is we, you know, we still got we still got a couple of issues, we still got
1: three issues to talk about, so... Yeah, but like, but here's the thing, we've gone through the meat of these, because the next three issues, especially 361, are astonishingly light. Yeah. And so six, sorry, 359, Devos the Devastator, first of all, holy shit, that name. Yeah um is theoretically part four of the storyline but is a very light mm-hmm. epilogue mm-hmm. it's kind of as you said like the, the next three issues all feel to various degrees like fill-ins mm-hmm. even as the the one thing i do like is 59 and 60 both continue the story forward yes So 359 gets them back to Earth. Yeah. 360 is what happens when they get back to Earth. And so there is the feeling of of forward momentum, even though both issues are really throwaway. Although 360, for my money, is much more interesting than a throwaway. Mm. 359, the plot is uh, the FFR basically discovered in their spaceship that cannot go anywhere because it's been hit by debris by another spaceship, which brings them on board as they... Investigate the spaceship, they are basically trapped individually, they get free, because of course there's a Fantastic Four, it's an intergalactic zoo, oh no, what's going on? Well, they accidentally free the beasts, fight the beasts, and then it turns out there's Devos the Devastator, who's like, ah, fuck you, I was just trying to have a collection, my name's Devos the Devastator, but you know, I'm just collecting things, because Devastator means collector, sure. (laughs) Actually, Rem, I have to say... (laughs) The, the the
0: thing that is weird is, again, we've got a situation where DeFalco and I think Ryan are working at opposite purposes. And DeFalco himself is being kind of confusing because essentially the De- Devos, the Devastator, is someone who is in the process of saving the universe by essentially... Um, Marking every species that presents any possibility, any threat to galactic peace as, as a threat and therefore has to
1: be wiped out. So. Sure, but still. Devastator being the guy who collects stuff and like is saving things. But. I call
0: bullshit. But see, this is the part that's really weird is, is that all the stuff, it starts off. He's sort of a hunter collector in the pictures. But again, what DeFalco says is he has him say, I'm the ultimate guardian of the peace. It is my responsibility, my sacred duty, to eliminate every light form that has any prospect of ever waging war. So he's basically talking about wiping out entire civilizations. Interestingly enough, one of the things that is funny, in that, again, that same way that DeFalco keeps repeating his shit, I totally didn't even get into the fact that There's two consecutive issues where Ben Grimm refers to himself as not being built for speed. Similarly, the scrolls, one of the things that DeFalco has the scrolls say explicitly in 358, the previous issue, is um, that, that they have a righteous desire to establish a lasting peace throughout the universe which they then say can only be achieved if we conquer and slave every other inhabited world. Similarly, Devos is a dude who is like, I am saving the universe by anything deadly by essentially wiping it out. So it's amazing. He actually walks through a hall saying, countless are the hostile races, which I've already exterminated. And he's looking at a gallery of races, uh, heads on the wall of races, That still exist. So again, DeFalco's doing this thing that doesn't really make sense within the context of stuff because the story shows that... that The images show that DeVos is a hunter. And similarly, he has all these diverse species like as Ben calls it, the Bronx Zoo of Outer Space. And I forget what fucking reason defalco gives devos for keeping all of these specimens but i just want to point out there's it's just a it's just it's just weird it doesn't quite add up you know
1: so sorry no i i, I totally know it, it's just yeah but the, the whole like this this is a, a really generic story you know yeah, completely yep it's so generic. It's, it's, a, it's a Brainiac riff that goes nowhere yeah. and l- like, literally goes nowhere because yeah. Devos escapes and then all the other aliens die. And then, then they're like – Sue's like, I'm sad the aliens died. And Reed's <laughs> like, so am I. I love animals, but just think one of them could be deadly. <laughs> it, it, it does feature the, the one plus of this issue
2: mm-hmm.
1: is Reed's – really the ultimate Reed Richards is Omniscient. Mm-hmm. But when a gas starts coming through and he goes, it's apparently a highly developed toxin designed to sterilize the ship of all organic matter. <laughs> How could he ever know that? But he, of course, he's 100% correct. Yeah,
0: yeah, of course. Oh, it's not just that. Then he manages to actually roll up to the control panel and deactivate the self-destruction priority, which I guess is the highly developed toxin or is it also the thing Basically Devos flies off like it, I'm
1: guessing it's bull I'm guessing yeah. it's not after the destruction of the ship.
0: Exactly. Maybe. Oh yeah, actually it's true. Like Ben says you put the kibosh on that spray and alarm, which he does in a matter of seconds when a council he's never seen in a language that he doesn't know. Amazing. Amazing. So I I I don't as both an animal lover and a scientist I totally agree
1: with you. Just genius. I mean there's so much shit. It's
2: it's it's, it's a terrible
1: issue. It's yeah. uh, but terrible in a way that again feels very old school fantastic four. Completely. Completely. You know, like even the name Devos the Devastator is a terrible name. Yeah. And and the one way that I would say the issue falls flat in terms of like oh it's old school fantastic four is the design of Devos is terrible. Mm-hmm. it's really generic it's it there's nothing visually interesting about him and you know that you know if this has been a kirby thing devos would have looked fucking awesome uh you
0: know honestly the thing part of what he suffers from is is i feel like they sort of are trying to kirby him kind of but it doesn't quite work like you know whenever you look at like cool suit of armor you know it's kind of like and 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 also you know the the um Cosmic uh, loincloth Flap you know you know That someone's trying to invoke Kirby I think they just don't do a particularly Good job of it also The fact that this is 1991 Makes me wonder If Devos the Devastator that that Paul Ryan had drawn the issue It's it's very much Supposed to be a Predator riff Like these guys are Up against You know um a Marvel rip-off version of the Predator, who's an alien who is the deadliest hunter, who does keep trophies of his prey, who does have an an awesome suit of armor, you know, and is supposed to beat their asses. And then, of course, Defalco, Defalco, who really is trying to bring back the days of Lee and Kirby
1: by being like, no. <laughs> no. Well, that's just like, like, like I'm just going to write him like a generic villain. Well, it, right. As as literally the way that I wrote the villains last time, but also
0: in a way that's kind of like, no, he's not a hunter. He's a cosmic exterminator for peace. Which is just like, but that doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, but it's it's interesting. Wouldn't you agree it's interesting? I think it's interesting. And also... And, and so I think in a way that you've got the, just as you have the predator, there's also the alien versus predator aspect of Devos is <laughs> kind of like, I've got this cool egg that is this creature that I was never able to defeat. And then at the end of the issue, everything's been wiped out except for the, cra- the egg, which is cracking open.
1: So. Which is such a, a wonderfully shitty ending as well that reads like, Every, like things could have been bad. If only something had gotten loose, it would have been really bad. And it's like look at the egg <laughs> <laughs> Look at the fucking egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dev- devastator after but again, it's a bad it's not even a bad comic. Like it's just not a good comic. Huh? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's something weird where I'm like And this is what when I when I read these uh, a few weeks ago, I ended up reading like, you know, 20 issues ahead Mm -hmm. because these comics are readable, Jeff. I get it. I get it, Graham. I totally
0: get it. And I agree. God help me. There's part of me where it's like the only problem that I have with Devos, the Devastator issue is, is that it's not drawn by, like, George
1: fucking Perez, who would have made the armor look awesome. Right. Yeah. That's just it. Like, if with a different artist, these comics would be, I actually do think, would be good. Yeah. I think Ryan is the drag on these issues. Which because is... I think the Falco, for all of his like lampshadiness, mm-hmm. and writing people as if they're not actually human he, his tone weirdly works really fucking well yeah
0: yep yeah. yeah i think so too i think so too and in part i think it's because there's a he's striking sort of the right tone of forward momentum even as he's sort of maneuvering the overall direction of the book backwards it feels like it's moving forward and also it feels like there's conflict and yet the character and yet none of the characters are in conflict with each other you know what i mean like that's kind of a that's kind of an amazing tightrope to walk you know i don't think any i don't think that there's many people who could do it quite as well as DeFalco does it's clear he had he has an idea of what what his retro charm what retro charms should be and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least based on these issues I think he makes a, a, a surprisingly compelling case for it.
1: You know. Well, I keep going back to his Thor, which he was doing before this, mm-hmm. and, and also contemporary with this. His his Thor sort of bleed; he's doing the, both parallel, but his Thor's with Ron Friends, who does a hell of a Kirby impression, mm-hmm. and is more successful because of that. But it's exactly the same thing; like he's honed his retroness on Thor, mm-hmm. and then he brings it to FF. And if he'd had to, uh, friends on this book, mm-hmm. like you and I would be losing our shit right now. I, I can I believe it. Let's speed through three sixty 360 and three sixty one, because we've been like, I honestly thought we were going to run through these issues super quickly. <laughs> and that's not true. Graham, Jeff. you just don't know who you're podcasting I, with. I really I was like, this is only six issues. We're gonna get this done super quickly. And I lied. 360 at the mercy of Dreadface. <laughs> Two things are special about this issue. One, Dreadface is the worst name for a <laughs> character ever, ever, at the mercy of Dreadface. To Jeff, you <laughs> noticed that Dreadface is Venom, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, that was kind of amazing as well. Dreadface is literally just Venom. <laughs> yeah. On And you know what? Honestly, I kind of had that thing while reading it of, like, I wonder if anyone's ever revisited this issue. Because on the one hand, it's almost a little too terrible But on the other hand,
1: there is something that's kind of like... We never say we brought Dreadface back. Like, (laughs) that that would never be accepted. But at the same time, you're right. Like, Mm -hmm. there's stuff here to mine.
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, you kind of have a... Well, it's Venom, but it's not. And God knows if there's one thing that Marvel's always happy with, it's the idea of introducing another fucking symbiote. But... um, So, basically, people... If you're wondering... the FF managed to get back to Earth, but they decide to crash land the ship on a deserted island so nobody will get hurt. Um, they drag out the shuttle, which is kind of lame because it's. they call it the shuttle because, honestly, it should be the FF's ship, I think, from the previous issues. Uh, but they don't refer to it as such. For whatever reasons, basically due to, due to a need for the plot reads like we can only I can only take so many people back because we've exceeded the maximum flight compa- weight capabilities of this shuttle so Ben and one other will have to stay behind until we can return with the Pogo plane and it ends up being um uh Johnny so Johnny and Ben are staying they're basically having a little cookout and they're talking about how basically Johnny's life is kind of fucked up, and Ben is, you know, I I know exactly how you feel, and which is kind of interesting, you know. It's very much, you know, as far as this Alicia is concerned, she's still my girl, but all I see is your wife. So, um, it's it's a lovely little quiet moment, and then of course the it's interrupted by someone throws a, an enormous boulder on their fire. They both decide that the best way to tackle that is to run off into the dark in separate directions. Uh, Because
1: of course it is. Uh, We should say, when someone throws the rock onto the fire, it is Dreadface slash Venom possessing a gorilla. Yep. Yeah.
0: Who, as far as we can tell, is basically just throwing boulders around. You thought it was an attack? No, because when Ben finds him, uh, the gorilla Dreadface is just tossing boulders off in various random directions. Ben attacks him, they have a fight, there's a lot of punching, but of course the magical symbiotic powers is allows uh, the creepy black goop to move off the gorilla and spread over Ben, and uh, next thing you know, um, everyone's back at the Baxter building being like, ah, oh, we should get the plane, but like, meh. Uh, it's fine, I'm going to take a nap, they're just on an island, what can it hurt?
1: Which, you know... What's the worst that can happen?
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, I don't know, maybe two people that you said that you'd be right back for are going to, if nothing else, have to take a dump out in the woods, you know, like... That doesn't sound great. Like maybe the island had a better temperate climate when I was like but it's that whole idea of like you guys just stay out here in the elements, you'll be great, you know. Meanwhile, back on the island, uh you essentially get uh Johnny who's flying around and finds Ben, but finds a very different Ben because of course he's been possessed by the Conqueror of Worlds, the Slayer of Vast Civilizations, Dreadface, who is of course like, yes. And now I throw sand at you. And trees, you know, because he, because he's a conqueror of worlds. Here, here's your sand. Now I, conqueror of world, try to hit you with a rock. Um, Johnny manages to uh, blast him and knock him over. But, of course, then he gets possessed by Dreadface, who looks a lot like despair for a couple of panels. I guess that's the Dreadface angle. Um, I, I
1: was going to say he also looks like
0: uh, Valiant Shadow Man. Oh, yeah, that's probably true as well. Actually, you know, now I think about it, he kind of acts like despair, too. Doesn't despair, like, possess people? Anyway, it doesn't necessarily matter. How is Ben going to be able to defeat Dreadface, considering, you know, he can't actually punch him uh, without... hurt him without hurting his own friend? Um, interestingly enough, he decides to... And again, this is where I sort of feel like, just as we had, like... The pred, you know, the predator thing from last issue, you've got Ben running around, jumping, diving into waterfalls, and then essentially exploding a thing with a lot of fuel, and also, again, doing the slow motion jump, you know, as things explode behind him. Um, which somehow breaks his arm, but they all manage to live. So,
1: amazing it's kind of great like i really genuinely <laughs> get of for all like it is it once you accept that it's shitty venom right like dread first of all dreadface. secondly it's just shitty venom there's something kind of great a about the johnny ben scene where they're both like are you okay no are you okay no this is weird let's just accept this is weird right. and then that it turns into like you said like a a, a sort of shitty action film yeah yeah. like there's I, I kind of dig both of that.
0: No, I agree too. Also it's worth pointing out that Ryan and Belendi, uh, I think their art has continued to get better every issue, um, which is to say that it goes from being bland to functional to kind of enjoyable here. There's some there's some storytelling choices or some rendering choices. Uh, there's some coloring choices that I I kind that I like. I really do like that little panel where like Ben like jumps off a cliff into a waterfall is kind of, kind of lovely, kind of cool. You know, there's the, the islands got a sense of place f- to me in a way, even it, even as it's shockingly generic that I'm kind of like, uh, if I had to read this or that damn
1: Simonson dinosaur issue again, I'm like, uh,
0: I like this more.
1: There is a certain similarity to the the dinosaur issue, isn't there? There like really the is. The crash lands, and they're on an island, and like, oh, the island's got a monster on it. Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's very strange. So, but like you said, pretty pretty enjoyable. It worked, it's, and
1: it's it's a fun issue. Like yeah. it's super throwaway, but it's super fun. Yep. I I I'm going to say that I can't really say the same about three sixty one. Yep, yeah, please. Miracle in Yancey Street! <laughs> it's the Christmas issue, and honest to God, all you really need to know is that Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan make the entirely unnecessary decision to introduce the Yancey Street gang, who are the Newsboy Legion. Yes!
2: Yes!
1: That's really all you need to know. I mean, that's not true. There's a, it, Dr. Doom's part of it, which, inexplicably. Um, and he, Dr. Doom was also completely... Uh, dropped the Simonson design. He's back to the classic design in this issue. Honestly, again,
0: It's it's, it's the whole idea of, like, it's very hard to believe that this is the real Doctor Doom in so many ways. Well, especially because, like, what is he doing on Yancey Street? It makes no sense. He's, He's actually like, I'm here to run drugs. No, I'm here to get rid of drugs. Oh, you've gotten in my way. Now I will never get rid of drugs. And Ben's like, no, don't say that, you... You should get rid of drugs. You can't get rid of drugs because of me. No, I was here to grab lab rats for my experiments, but, you know, that no one would want because of drugs. But I find drugs objectionable, but I, but now you've you've gotten in my way, so I'm just going to blow up the building, and you're still going to have drugs. Fuck you. Like, let's forget the drugs Christmas. are actually <laughs> used. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, it really is like Tom DeFalco's, like, what do you want from a Christmas story? I want a Christmas story in which Dr. Doom, in a fit of pique, tells Ben that he's not going to, to wipe out the drug war because Ben and the fucking multicultural Newsboy Legion incarnation of the Yancey Street gangs, you know, have annoyed him. Um, it's, it's 11 kinds of dumb... It really is. And the things in a cast, which is great, because in no ways does it make him seem in any way vulnerable. Um, I think the best thing they have going for it is the the thing wears a leather jacket that I kind of like. You know? It sort of makes sense that that Ben might try to wear something like a bomber jacket. Uh, And, of course, the fact that it seems as if he stole it from a member of... He stole it from US-1. Uh, or team america also works for me
1: but, but let, let's be honest somewhere DeFalco probably has a, an explanation for the you know the unseen issue of marvel 2 and 1 where he teamed up with us1 yeah. and it ended up with with what's his name ulysses archer yeah yeah uh going hey ben you're a cool guy and you love america have this jacket
0: have this
1: jacket which to be fair i would
0: 100% read it. i i would want to read that You'd probably want to read it more than a story where the Newsboy Legion are fighting robots and one kid actually I, distracts the robots the by putting
1: Walkman headphones on him. I hate that you meet the Street gang and they're just the Newsboy Legion. Yeah. But I love the Street gang. Well, see, this is it. I, I love them. Hey. Stationary Dawson. Little Larry Lee. Yep. Yep. Smooth money. <laughs> <laughs> Maringas. Mm. rhythm ruiz yep oh it's so great two visit tommy Boyd. like i genuinely they are a shameless fucking ripoff yeah of of the news by legion it, but also more ethnically diverse yep important yeah but kind of great like bring these characters back no i'm i gotta
0: admit i would totally be into it too it's the weird thing of you know, DeFalco is more or less breaking um, you know, Marvel etiquette by showing the Yancey Street gang. And it of course diminishes them, but it's also again in that weird sort of way of it's wrong, but it's kind of goofy and clever. Like, of course when you see the Yancey Street gang, they're like the newsboy legion. But also there's part of me where it's just like it's fucking nineteen ninety one. It's more than time for them to have a new newsboy legion you know what i mean like the kirby sense of the good gang of you know kids who are tough and take no crap but also have good hearts you know that kind of bowery boys dead end kids archetype it's 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 a comic idea that is actually usually pretty great. And DeFalco yeah, is nice.
1: exactly the perfect person to try and bring them back. It's just And also these guys are goods. Like mm-hmm. I genuinely love that they are ethnically diverse. That sounds such a ridiculous thing to say. But I think it's great. Yes. Like that you bring the news by Legion back and they're not just like a gang of white kids. Yeah.
0: Well, actually one of the things that's that is also pretty great is is that you they are ethnically diverse and the only ones that talk in kind of an appalling patois are the two white kids. You know? Yes. Um yeah. the fact that little Larry Lee, Smooth Manny Moringas, Dictionary Dawson, and Rhythm Ruiz are all people of color and none of them I mean admittedly Rhythm Ruiz is like kind of a, a non character deliberately but everyone else just talks normally and it's again it's that thing of like it's kind of like for you know 1991 it's kind of surprisingly progressive and smart and like you said I, I do I like them I, it's just you know what it is this is the funny thing. If it had been them and they were, they were, you know, it turned out that they were fighting, oh, I don't know, like Wilson Fisk or Wilson Fisk and a ro- rogue Doom bot, it would be one thing. But once you put Doctor Doom in there, and again, old... Style skirt wearing Dr. Doom who at one point is like firing a gun for no reason and then again with that weird like ah ha ha I will I I could
1: have restricted like there will be no cure for drugs (laughs) there will be no cure (laughs) it has to be said the whole like maybe I can cure drugs but I'm not gonna (laughs) is so fucking weird in general but so very fucking weird for Christmas story
0: yeah it really is odd. It's really, really odd. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then of course the 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 Newsboy Legion send send Ben off by saying like, "Hey, you're okay in our book." And then of course they, in true Yancey Street fashion, have slapped on the 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 sign on Ben's back and stolen his wallet. I don't know, man. I got to tell you. So, you, so in other words, you hated the issue, despite the fact that you love the Yancey Street Gang. Although you hate them, you sort of like they were called anything hate, else.
1: Yes, I hate that you yeah. sh- you meet the Yancey Street Gang, and it is like just a gang. Yeah. I love the concept of the Yancey Street Gang as essentially a faceless horde. Me too. They have to be like, a faceless. I love that horde. so much. Yeah. Like that that concept, I love so much that yeah. when you meet them, it 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 just, it lessens the concept for me so badly that oh, yeah. I'm like, no, you should never do that. Yep. But, I love these characters.
0: Yeah. yeah, I do too. I do too. It's it's a shame. They should have come up with something. Even if they had, had made them like the gang that is the gang that's always opposed to the Yancey Street gang, you know, but they also don't like Ben either. Like, something. Like, yeah. it doesn't need much, I have to say. But, um but yeah weird little and it and and again when like Ben turns around and he's like hey Merry Christmas everybody it was just like what why what
1: like you know the whole thing is so absolutely wacky yeah yeah it's it's just oh yeah man yeah it's (laughs) it's 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 such a weird fucking issue but again (laughs) bad but weirdly enjoyable like that's the running theme through all these comics yep you know, I, I, it sounds strange, but I would recommend all of these comics more readily to someone who's like, ah, I'm kind of interested in the test board. I don't really know, definitely than the annuals we did last time. Oh, for maybe sure. maybe more than the Simonson comics. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I kind of, I do, I kind of get it. I kind of get it because there is a little bit of a. Um... I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I, I totally see where you're going. And I, I'm actually very willing to, to co-sign that for the most part. So,
1: um, And it's the strangest thing because the, these comics have been the punchline for the Baxter Building for, for the entire run so far. Mm-hmm. And then we get there and it's like, oh, but, you know, this is actually not the worst the comic has been. In fact, we kind of like them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Yeah, very strange there, Graham. I have to say, you've really you caught me you caught
1: me off guard. I don't even know what to expect now. Uh, well, it, it goes downhill. <laughs> you, you may or may not remember yeah. that we did the first burn issues, and we're like, holy shit, these are really, really good. Yes. And then that was not true after a while. Wow. Yeah, it, it uh, In the next batch of issues, we're doing, I should say, next episode three sixty two through three seventy. Wow, we are already. By the time we get 370, we're already on the downward slope. Mm-hmm. Oof. Just, just be warned, friends. <laughs> it's uh, it, it because it really, like I said, one of the things that's so good about these issues is they're such a light touch, and he doesn't. Devalco doesn't really lean into soap opera, mm-hmm. and he by the time we get 370, he started leaning into soap opera, and then he just gets more and more so. He leans over
0: until he more or less falls in. Ah, well, well, Graham, um, should we should we wrap it up? I don't want you to have to feel compelled to spoil more of um, the upcoming. <laughs> me, oh,
1: I I honestly spoiled almost spoiled a really big plot development. I'm, really I like, no, you I'm not going to just random i thought <laughs> uh, told okay, i you what issues we're reading next month. Uh, get to it. Jump to it, people. Yep. And if you had the warm fuzzies from these issues, which I kind of hope you did. I genuinely did. I I, honestly have found myself surprisingly fond of these issues. Um, <laughs> then that probably won't be the case by the time you get to 370. Sorry, everyone. Aww. There will be show notes for this episode up on Monday at waitwhatpodcast.com. You can always find new and Eh, yeah, maybe interesting content at com There is an Instagram, Instagram.com/forward/slash/waitwhatpodcasts. is where you'll find it, and I will tell you what the hell happened on that day of comics <laughs> in the past. <laughs> Jeff, I don't know if you've checked it out. It's wacky. Wow! And it's going to get here. i just yeah. It, there's there's. Turns out stuff happens in comics all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that- that's what you're getting at from that. <laughs> uh, Twitter, at Waywell Podcast. Jeff's on Twitter solo, at, lazy bastard, at LazyBastid, at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I am on Twitter solo, at GrahamM, at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported podcast. This Baxter building thread exists purely because of the kindness of all of you. Jeff, take it away.
0: Hey, everyone. Yes, Graham is absolutely right. We are. Um... This whole thing, this whole Baxter building thing, which is still kind of blowing my mind that we are in the final stretches for, uh, is a crazily ambitious thing that we would not have ended up doing if it hadn't been for, uh, our wonderful supporters on Patreon and their willingness to throw us the Kwatlus, um... (laughs) We would especially like to thank uh, the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, We are especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast um, as well as their uh, continuing um, survival of this uh, stretch of galactic space and the fact that they never had a story in which Dr. Drew Doom taunted Ben Grimm with the idea that he would cure drugs, but now would not. Graham? Do
1: you think there's a story out there where Dr. Doom does actually cure drugs? See, this is the thing that drives me crazy. that's a Cloak & Dagger story, right?
0: I, a part of me is like, drug addiction! Drug addiction! Don't just say that you're curing drugs.
1: You sound dumb, no, and you're cured,
0: technically a doctor. he's curing drugs. I know! No, he's,
1: cu- <laughs> like, he's technically a doctor. Let's see. I mean, only technically, let's be honest. We don't know that. I just he's think the doctor he's... the same Richards is a doctor. Oh, well, okay. In fact, is he? But is he even a doctor? Like, did he finish the course? I thought Let's... he blew blown up and then he left. Let's
0: see, I think he later on he did most of his credits and he submitted his thesis remotely. He got his doctorate first off. He got his doctorate, but honestly, we don't know that Doctor Doom isn't also actually a genuine doctor. We just don't know that. You know what I mean? Like he calls himself Doctor Doom, but. but... I mean, it's not his emphasis, but I mean, you know, like. <laughs> it's not his emphasis.
1: I, I, I'm a, I'm the ruler, ruler of Liberia, and I'm a despot who wants to rule the world. But my true passion is healing people. Yeah, exactly. is Is actually podiatry. <laughs> 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 so I think that's it for us, uh, everyone. We, we, you- we will be, we will be back in a month with more Baxter building. We will be back. I was going to say momentarily that don't take me literally from that. <laughs> we'll be back soon with more way What as well. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, it, it's Baxter building, which means you get sick of that. <laughs> I do indeed. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for our, uh, joining us, everyone. We will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.